Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York, a radio.com station. Sports Radio 66 Hello everybody, I'm Danielle McCartan here at WFAN Studios in New York, New York. Hope you guys didn't have too much turkey tonight. Don't get too tryptophaned. Yeah, I'm going to use that as a verb. Uh, I'm going to be on until 3 o'clock in the morning. We have lots to talk about tonight. Um, we can continue the conversation on Twitter at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. And we are here in freezing New York City. We're going to talk a lot of hot stove, Mets, Yankees. Uh, New York. Is the New York the best place for free agents Harper and Machado? Uh, rivalry weekend here for our New York football teams. Jets, Patriots, Giants, Eagles. And I have a Black Friday deal for the New York Mets. And I have a Black Friday deal for the New York Yankees. I'm sure we'll get into Le'Veon Bell, Noah Syndergaard, and all that. So you guys know the phone number. It's uh, 877-337-6666. So my favorite part about Thanksgiving, real quickly, is the lasagna. In Italian, le lasagna. That's a very special treat that my mom makes for Thanksgiving. So uh, I just want to say happy Thanksgiving from all of us here at WFAN. Mark on the updates. Sus behind the glass. And a very special uh, happy Thanksgiving to those of us who that couldn't be home Uh with our families on, on Thanksgiving. So, but you know, I hope you guys, I hope your day was filled with food, family and football. Today we watched the bears beat the lions 23, 16. Then we watched the Cowboys beat the Redskins 31, 23. And that's of particular interest to the New York giants. Cause they are locked. Uh, the Redskins and Cowboys at six and five atop the NFC East. Now we also watched just now the saints top the Falcons 31, 17. Uh, but that 17 was, you know, you know, it really was a very lopsided game in, in favor of the Saints. And Drew Brees uh, has made players around him a lot better, uh, throwing, I think it was four touchdown passes to four different undrafted wide receivers. So there's that. And I just saw a stat on Twitter. I was scrolling through that. It said 0% of fantasy owners had those guys starting. So that's pretty That's pretty amazing. Uh, next week, I'm sure that percentage will go up. So I wanted to talk about what are the New York teams thankful for? In, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, what are our four, you know, the Jets, Giants, Yankees, and Mets, what are those teams thankful for coming into this season? Well, I spoke to Darren Lee on Monday. Uh, he said that the Jets are thankful for each other, people supporting them throughout the hard times, and he also said that Rome wasn't built in a day in terms of the Jets. I'm going to take the more sarcastic route. I'm going to say that the Jets are very thankful for the fact that the Giants have been so bad this year, especially the first uh, half of the season. Because the narrative in, in, you know it, the narrative in New York sports media would have been focused on the Jets, on their lame duck head coach, and yes, their third overall draft pick that has regressed. Now, uh, uh, Todd Bowles, first. You know, Todd Bowles, that game, the Buffalo Bills game was was very embarrassing, and, and we are... By the way, at the anniversary of the butt fumble game. And I almost want to put that Buffalo's Bills game in week 10 of this season above the butt fumble game. Because I think they should have let Todd Bowles go, uh, find his own way home from Miami the week before that. 
couple quick bullet points here. Bowles' overtime, overall lifetime record as Jets head coach uh, up to that point was 23-34. and 34. His challenge win-loss record up to that point was 9-18, and 18, and he's never made the head, uh, playoffs as a head coach. Now, talking about a, a third overall draft pick that has regressed, well, you watch it, you see it. Sam Darnold, he's got happy feet now, not at the beginning. He's thrown off his back foot. He's made some mental mistakes. And he actually told the media that he's playing, and his quote was, stupid football. And he also told the media, in college, I was able to get out of the pocket a little more. Stupid football, to me, equates, I mean, I coach, I do coach, so stupid football equals unintelligent football, which is equal to being unprepared. Because if you're prepared, okay, you could make physical mistakes, but these mental mistakes, you know, I'm not so sure. And and I feel like... In a way, he's reverting back to what he did in college because one of the main knocks um, coming for him coming out of college was that he wasn't trusting what he was seeing. He turned the ball over a lot at USC. And I don't know if you guys had seen it, uh, but through week nine, Pro Football Focus ranked the uh, – and he's been out injured. So through week nine, Pro Football Focus ranked – he was the worst-ranked quarterback out of May- Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, and then him in that order. Mayfield, Rosen, Allen, Darnold. So the Jets have, uh, uh, yes, things to be thankful for, each other, people supporting them. But, man, for lucky for them, the Giants have been pretty bad. And and now you're going to see the, the narrative start, start to change here because the Giants have been 2-0 since that bye week. Okay, now the Giants, what are they thankful for? Well, the Giants are thankful for, yeah, Eli Manning. Resurgence in the in the past two weeks aside, okay, you know, Eli Manning as a as a person. We're not talking Eli Manning the player because whether you're an Eli quote unquote Eli guy or not, as most callers calling, and I'm sure tonight most callers are going to be calling about. You know, they always seem to start the call with, "Oh yeah, I'm an Eli guy," or "No, I'm not an Eli guy." But, but I think whether you're an Eli guy or not, I think we can all agree that Manning Eli has been the consummate, steadfast professional in both the good times and the bad times for the New York Giants. He doesn't get too high, we know that, and he doesn't get too low. And my favorite part, I think underrated about Eli Manning, is his ability to kind of diffuse situations. This is what the Giants should be thankful for, with his dad jokes. (laughs) So, for example, that boat trip catastrophe that we all know about, that, that, that photo that was taken of... You know, Victor Cruz and, and, and all the receivers on that boat and obviously Odell Beckham Jr. and Sterling Shepard uh, in Miami. So when Manning was asked about that, you know what he said? He said, they didn't pack accordingly. They didn't have any shirts. That is a pretty good dad joke. How about that Lil, uh, Lil Wayne and Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, situation earlier in the year? And when Eli Manning was asked about that, Eli said, I don't watch Lil Wayne that much. <laughs> That's funny. So I think that the Giants are very thankful for Eli because if he was, if it, if, if it was somebody else that was more vindictive in a way, that could go south really fast. Okay, so Eli Manning being Eli Manning, I think the Giants have should be thankful for him in, in that sense. And uh, someone asked what Eli was thankful for, and he said, got tons to be thankful for. Obviously my family and all the friends, teammates, coaches, this organization, fans, to play this great game, so tons to be thankful for. There you go, Eli. 
The New York Mets. What are the Mets thankful for? Well, definitely the Mets and the Mets fans are thankful for the fact that Cy Young voters totally disregarded the fact that Jacob DeGrom only had 10 wins. Obviously, he won the Cy Young. But I'm not saying that DeGrom didn't deserve it because he absolutely did deserve it. And I, I think I was on with JJ earlier in the year, and I, I told, I said we were talking about it. And yes, Jacob Degrom outright deserved to win the Cy Young Award, hundred percent. But let's take this one step further. The Mets should be very thankful that Degrom didn't leave them in the dust at the trade deadline, because there was plenty of interest for him. We were taking the calls here. You know, every, everybody was interested in Jacob DeGrom because he is so good. But he chose to stay the course with the New York Mets. And DeGrom, the 2018 NL Cy Young Award winner, is in New York with the Mets. He has not deserted Queens, which means the Mets aren't totally devoid of talent. Which means that Queens is still, or may still be, a destination to attract some big-name talent. Maybe. I think Jacob DeGrom is an attractive piece to sort of put before some some incoming talent in order to entice them. Hey, look, we have the Cy Young Award winner. We have Jacob DeGrom. And we have a formidable starting pitching staff. And we'll get to that in a minute with with Noah Syndergaard. Should he stay or should he go? We'll get to that tonight. Um, But... DeGrom is being that attractive piece to, to entice an incoming talent. The Mets have to be thankful for that. And it's all going to depend on if Brody Van Wagenen is going to pull the trigger or not on some of these big-name free agents and, uh, and make some, some big-name trades here. Maverick Brody Van Wagenen, we'll say. The Yankees. What are the New York Yankees thankful for? Well, my first choice was that Aaron Judge, the face of the most famous sports franchise in North America at the age of 26. But let's take a look behind the scenes. The Yankees should be thankful for Brian Cashman. Brian Cashman, this year, won, has, you know, in this calendar year, I guess, in this, he swapped Starling Castro for John Carlos Stanton. And I know Stanton hasn't totally lived up to expectations. He really hasn't had his crowning Yankee moment just yet. But let's just look at the fact that Cashman traded for a player who was the NL MVP the season right before, right before that. Two, Cashman added J-Hap, who is arguably the best starting pitcher on the trade market this summer. And my number one choice, I said it here. And boy, did Hap deliver for the Yankees this season. And the third, and this is probably when Cashman does eventually retire, this is going to be the deal we look back on. His quintessential trade for D.D. Gregorius. For an expendable relief pitcher in Shane Green. I mean, come on. Gregorius, the successor to Derek Jeter, steps in. He's been one of the most prolific players on this team since Derek Jeter left. The Yankees have total confidence in Brian Cashman's decision-making process for 20 years. Since 1998, he took the reins. I looked that up. And when I asked, I, when I asked Gregorius a couple years ago, you know, what advice did Derek Jeter give you in, in taking over his spot? And he said, Derek Jeter told me that I, I can't strive to be Derek Jeter. I need to be Didi Gregorius. I think uh, I think we kind of hit on on all all the the football and uh, baseball teams here. So recap: the Jets are thankful for the Giants because they've been pretty bad. The Giants are thankful for Eli Manning. The Mets are thankful for Degrom and the fact that he is 
you know, opened the Queens to be a destination, possibly, depending on what Van Wagenen does. And and the Yankees are thankful for Brian Cashman. And Aaron Judge, of course, and, and the Baby Bombers, yeah. But Brian Cashman, for sure, has been, uh, has been the guy for this team. So ahead tonight, we're going to talk some, like I said, some Yankees hot stove. I have a Black Friday deal for the Yankees to make. We'll talk, hit that in a little while because it is Black Friday in about 40 seconds. We've got some Mets hot stove. I have a Black Friday deal for them as well that has not been considered. What about Harper and Machado? And the Jets, Patriots, Giants, Eagles. Is he going to be Noah Seagard? And how about Le'Veon Bell to the Jets? Let's let up those fun lines and let's get going right after the break. 877-337-6666. Your flagship station for Yankees talk, tickets, and every game. Plus all the latest Yankees hot stove rumors and deals is The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66. WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Jets Patriots. Week 12 action, Sunday afternoon. The 7-3 and three New England Patriots will visit the 3-7 and seven New York Jets at MetLife Stadium. So both teams, they're coming off a of bye week. Both teams before that are coming off of ugly, disappointing losses in Week 10. And both teams are certainly headed in entirely different directions. And I know we got two calls about the Jets, so that's why I picked this to, to do next. The Patriots are set to capture their 16th AFC East title since quarterback Tom Brady entered the league 19 seasons ago. And the Jets are just trying to justify why they haven't fired their head coach midseason. Entering play, the early odds, I don't know what they are today, right now, but the early odds were that the Patriots were 9.5 point favorites. So, uh, what are we going to watch for on Sunday? Well, I think the first thing we can look for is going to be the Jets' effort. Uh, plaguing this Jets team is, is just a lame duck head coach. Most reports are saying he's Todd Bowles is going to be fired at the conclusion of the season. We have an injured rookie quarterback. Sam Darnold is still not practicing despite having the bye week to help his injured foot. And uh, there's, I mean, there's speculation that general manager Mike McCagnin might not even be around for next year's draft. So there's a lot of question marks on this Jets team. And this team that had blown out the Detroit Lions on national television in week one, Monday Night Football action. It had odds makers rethinking the Jets. They had them at 101 to win the Super Bowl. And I did plunk $10 down at 100 to 1 for the Jets to win the Super Bowl when I was in Vegas in February. Uh, but, you know, after week one, I'm, I'm going around saying, I'm going I'm to win. I'm going to win all this money because the Jets are going to win the Super Bowl. But, you know, you got to look at the Jets' most recent game. They lost miserably to quarterback Matt Barkley in the Bills. He's a third-string quarterback. And I'm sure you guys saw it, and it was talked about here. They lost so miserably to that Bills team that a fan was pulled over for drunk driving and blamed it on the Jets. (laughs) Come on. Injury reports, that's the second thing to watch. A strained foot injury is what they're calling it for Sam Darnold. His status for Week 12, as of today, as what I just saw, was just looking at it, it still remains up in the air. And Darnold told reporters that we don't want to rush things. And he's been in street clothes. He's out of the boot, but he hasn't really suited up for, for practice at all. And the injury report looks like Rob Gronkowski is going to be playing this week. Uh, he's been out, I think, for four weeks in a row with back injuries. So he's going to be back. How effective he's going to be, we don't know. 
Um, but he'll be back in the lineup, and that's one of Tom Brady's uh, favorite favorite targets. And uh, I asked Darren Lee how that changes anything uh, with having Gronkowski on the field, <laughs> and he said it affects it as long as number 12 is the quarterback. And third thing to watch on Sunday, Father Time and Tom Brady. Well, eventually Father Time catches up to everybody, right? But in 2018... A year in which 41-year-old quarterback Tom Brady, is that the year that he succumbs to father time? Brady is not where he is used to being in, in the league leader categories. Yeah, passing yards, average yards per game, touchdowns, quarterback rating. So uh, what's going on? I mean, he's only been sacked 16 times, so it can't be that. But the Jets, they know better than to believe these statistics. And, and Darren Lee told me that, it's not. It, it's chess, not checkers playing that guy. So they'll be ready for Tom Brady, you would hope, you would think. And, um, you know, I, I, just, I just don't know uh, what's going to happen um, on Sunday. I would like the Jets to come away with a win. Uh, but let's go to CJ in Mount Holly. What's up, CJ? You're on the fan. All right, Dan. You know, I've been a big-time Jets fan. And I've been calling WFAN for five years since I moved back from Florida to the area, mm-hmm. and I'm telling you something, the topic that got me stuck calling the fan, and I continue to call on this day, is the Jets, the lack of weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Now, look what Sam Donald did last year at USC, and look at USC this year. He obviously can play the position. It's just an embarrassment. You get this type of quarterback, and you, you know you have him stiff. Around him, you got no playmakers with him. You can't have a team where Robbie Anderson is your top receiver. And I'm looking at next year's draft. There aren't great receivers at the top of the draft, so therefore, I think it's imperative that you make a move for Le'Veon Bell. Normally, I don't like to spend that type of money, but I think the Jets have no choice. You got to get Donald's career jump started. Yeah, I agree. And, and another thing I wanted to point out is when you look at the Jets' offensive line. They spent $34 million on the offensive line, and, and they were, you know, ranked towards the bottom, 24th, the last I checked. So, All right, but I'm going to defend them, though. A lot of it could be, you know, receivers aren't getting open, they're not getting separation, mm-hmm. and, you know, they don't have great running backs. So it's very hard for an offensive line to look good with these pathetic playmakers. Yeah, uh, CJ, I agree. I think the Jets need to look at playmakers, and, and I, I looked up, I looked at the early look at the 2019 NFL free agent class, and, you know, I think that the Jets do need to chase Bell. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit later, but I think the Jets do need to go after Bell, and they have some big-name free agent wide receivers on this list for next year. So maybe it doesn't come from the draft. Maybe it comes from free agent targets. Who knows for next year? Uh, uh, Now I'm looking at the draft next year for the Jets. I'm looking again at the top of the draft. You know what? There's a lot of thick defensive linemen out there, like Leonard Williams. However, I only see two premier playmakers, um, outside edge rushers on this year's draft. I see Boza, yep. and I see the guy from Clemson out there, Farrell. Besides those two guys, the other guys are thick guys, and I don't want duplications of Leonard Williams. That does not work. So I love to see him get one of these top edge rushers. And if they're going to take a top three or four overall pick in the draft, I would love to see that happen. Yeah, and, and thanks for the call, CJ. I think that the Jets really need to go after a guy like Bosa. He would look really good in green and white for the Jets, for sure. Let's go out to Dennis in Denville. Dennis, you're on the fan. What's up? 
Hey, what's up, Daniel? How are you? Good. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Dennis. Hey, so I'm kind of thinking about the Jets and with all the cap space that they have, that yep. they've made all this room for, what's the deal? What do you think? I heard uh, on the last call I was talking about maybe drafting people, um, and then I heard you talk about Bell. What do you think the most, the biggest thing they have to address is on their offense uh, to help Darno as he is going to be their franchise quarterback? Yeah, I mean, CJ hit it on the head. The Jets don't have playmakers on the offense. Whether you, you know, people love Robbie Anderson, and that's well and good. But Robbie Anderson is, is no Odell Beckham Jr. in terms of talent, let's just say. So um, the Jets have the money. They are one of the few teams that have the money for Le'Veon Bell. And, you know, it's a, it's a running back position. He's been out a year. But, but for, if you're the Jets, I think you go after Le'Veon Bell. It takes a little bit of pressure off Sam Darnold to succeed. And he he's a playmaker. He, he's a dual-threat playmaker. He's a, he's a running back, sure. But you can also catch the ball at, as a receiver, too. So, Dennis, to your question... Le'Veon Bell has to be one of the main priorities for the Jets in the offseason. So do you think that they should draft a wide receiver, or do you think they should go pick somebody up? Well, if there's money left over, I'd say they pick somebody up, because those guys you know are, are, are short commodities. Guy out of the draft, you don't know. It could be hit or miss. Awesome. All right, well, thank you. And thanks for the call, Dennis. All right, bye. So, yeah, so Le'Veon Bell, you know, he, the Jets are one of the only teams that can afford a contract of, of Le'Veon Bell's uh, stature and there's some question marks that come with him too but you know i'm trying to get inside Le'Veon bell's head right he held out to sign the big contract that never came okay so but as a player i guess at that point and and i'm not saying it's right or wrong but i'm just trying to get inside his head but you know how does the best you're due for a huge contract so what is um the best possible scenario for him in order to get that big contract in 2019, you sit out the rest of 2018. You know, Bell is going to be recharged. He's going to be ready to prove to the world why he deserves the most lucrative contract for a running back, I would think. And in what would be his sixth season actively, 27 years of age? I mean, I think Bell knows that running backs, on average, have one of the shortest careers, lengths at any position. And uh, it's, a you know... A major drop off in value occurs for for uh, for running backs after their ninth year in the position. So based on this, and you know he wants the long term deal, he's got a window of three to four years left to cash in. Okay, that's his perspective. But inside the front office heads of the New York Jets, uh, you know what do you do? You have so many other holes to plug. He's going to be a real expensive player. He wants. He said he wants to be the highest paid running back. Period. And then again, he sat out the entire NFL season. What has his training regimen been? What kind of shape is he in? Look what happened to Des Bryant, who sat out most of 2018. Bryant tore his ACL on the last day of practice with the Saints. Uh, last play last play of practice with the Saints before he even played in one single game. So I'm not wishing injuries on anybody, but it's possible because how can you replicate NFL action in a training regimen? You, you really can't. And then the final thing I'm looking at, if I'm, if I'm the front office of the Jets, that video of Bell's teammates ransacking his locker. I mean, they're stealing his cleats. They're looking into the camera and thanking him for them. Uh, you know, it's just it was just kind of crazy how, how disrespectful the teammates were to him, and I'm sure they feel disrespected by him as well. You know, how, what does this guy do for the culture of a team is my question. But, you know, there's some concerns, obviously the money, obviously, you know, the culture part of it. But, you know, the Jets, like CJ said, do not have any playmakers, and Le'Veon Bell – 
is a playmaker. He was exceptionally talented. He's in the prime of his career. He's 26 years old. He would make an immediate impact on a team in dire need of a star playmaker to compliment Sam Darnold, who looks like he's going to be the Jets' franchise quarterback. Le'Veon Bell, he's a dual threat that has logged significant rushing and receiving yards throughout his career. And Mike McCagnin, this, this might just save Mike McCagnin's job if he's still employed by the Jets in 2019. Because if a player like Le'Veon Bell comes knocking, you don't force him away. So we'll take more calls after the break, and we're going to uh, do some Giants-Eagles stuff and uh, talk to you guys on the other side of the break. Hi, everybody. Again, happy Thanksgiving. I'm Danielle McCartan here on WFAN Radio, New York, New York. I'll be here until uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. It's 1223 now. And uh, let, let's talk a little bit more football. That's what the calls are coming in. So, you know, uh, you know, the Jets, in my opinion, are going to be looking for a new coach at the end of the season. So I think the game of football at the professional level, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is evolving right before our very eyes, whether you like it or not. The NFL has taken a turn a la the NBA, where the excitement over scoring more points defeats the, esti- the excitement over some staunch defensive competition, right? The trend of the rules and the penalties being changed and new ones put in place reflects that. Therefore, I think these defensive-minded head coaches should and will meet the same fate as dinosaurs, which is extinction. Those coaches, I think, would be better served as defensive coordinators, not as head coaches. And everybody points to, and I'm going to point to it, the classic example of a prototypical new age head coach, 32-year-old Rams coach Sean McVay. Like the Rams had Jared Goff, the Jets also have their franchise quarterback in Sam Darnold. They just need to find themselves their own McVay in order to be relevant again. Michael in the Bronx wants to talk New York Jets. Michael, you're on the fan. Hi, uh, happy Thanksgiving, first of all. You have a really great show in the morning. I, I love your show. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Great. Uh, so I'd like to propose a trade between the Redskins and the Jets to get okay. the Jets into the playoffs. For this season? Yes, please. Are you sure? Yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm, I'm all ears. Let's hear it. Okay, I'd like to send Sam Donald to the Redskins for uh, Mark Breland, Mark Breland, Josh Norman, and Colt McCoy. Yeah, that that's uh, Michael. I'm sorry, I got to drop you here. That is not going to happen. The Jets are not going to trade away their franchise quarterback in Sam Darnold for anybody. They, they, the stock that they they use to get him alone will secure that. I hate to cut I hate to cut callers off like that, but the Jets to secure the third pick. To the Indianapolis Colts, they relinquished their number six overall pick in 2018. Two 2018 second-round picks, which was the 37th and 49th overall, and a second-round pick for next year's draft. And that's a ton of stock to invest in a quarterback. And they are not going to give up on him already. Uh, Justin in Monroe, Giants, you're on the fan. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. So uh, I want to talk about the uh, Giants and the Eli Manning situation. Listen, at the end of the season, or even during the season, I went to sit down with him and say, listen, 
you know, we know that you're, you know, you were a franchise quarterback for a lot of years, but, you know, we need to see Kyle Loretta and see how we um, see our youth and what our potential is. And I do think that they're probably going to draft a quarterback in the draft um, if they get top five. But, you know, I'm really eyeing my uh, eye on uh, Justin Herbert at Oregon because, you know, he's, um, he's I was watching him over the weekend. Justin, we're losing you a little bit. Um, but, you know, you're asking about what the Giants are going to do in, in the next draft and, and what they do with Eli Manning after this season. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I guess you just don't, you don't be fooled by the fact that Eli Manning has had two really good games. But, I, I, you, you know, you're right. You sit him down at the end of the season and you say this is the deal. If the Giants let him go at the end of the season, they're going to save a ton of money. And in a team with a lot of other holes to plug, yeah, logically speaking, you let him go. You got to let him go. Now, are they going to do that? Because you saw the uproar what happened last year when Pat McAdoo benched Eli in in favor of Geno Smith um, in that game. That it was just uproarious. People, you know. But and then there's another thing: was Ben McAdoo right? I mean. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't want to play fantasy football just yet with with the draft. Uh, it's just too early. The season is not over because if you look at the NFC East, I think it's one of the only divisions that's sort of kind of wide open, really. Um, so, you know, the Giants have this new motto of they're going to be undefeated the rest of the season after that bye week with eight games. They've checked off two of those games so far. And, and they got the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday which is obviously a divisional matchup. The Giants, they're 3-7. and seven. They have a date with the Eagles at 4-6. and six. And who knows? You know, who, who, the Cowboys and, and, and Redskins set, set to, they, they squared off today. And you know how you saw how that went. So if you want to look at Giants-Eagles, we can do that. First time these teams met this season was uh, week six at MetLife Stadium. Six weeks ago, I guess. Uh, and the Eagles, I mean, they just handed it to the Giants. 34-13 was the final score. But, you know, like I was saying, the Giants seem to be this entirely different team coming out of the bye week. Since that proclamation of, of you know, being a, that undefeated team, they're 2-0. and And they've vowed to win out the rest of the season. And, you know, I, I, I make a joke on Twitter, and you guys that follow me know that. Jamon Brown... Man, he must be one lucky guy because he's still undefeated in 2018 because he came over from the undefeated Rams, came to the Giants, and now they're undefeated. So maybe this is all a lucky thing. If you guys want to get aboard Talk Some Giants, it's uh, 877-337-6666. And listen, you know, Pat Shermer told the media on Wednesday that last time the Giants played the Eagles, and this is the quote, we turned the ball over, we gave him big plays, we just didn't play well enough to beat any team. So we have to fix that. It's more about us. And going back to it, we just can't turn the ball over. A pick six early in the game, for example. We did a lot of those things where you go, oh, now I see why we didn't win. It's it's more about us and less about them, is what he thought. Uh, That was his evaluation coming out of that week six game. And, you know, for the Giants to win on Sunday, I mean, Eli Manning doesn't have to put up a perfect game like he did. Last week, almost, I almost, it was almost perfect. He was 17 for 18, 231 yards, two touchdowns, and more importantly, zero interceptions. 
The only miscompletion was uh, the one that hit Saquon Barkley in the hands on the screenplay. The other thing, the Giants need to they need to spread the ball around on Sunday because I, I looked back at the statistics. In week six, the Giants' leading receiver was their running back. Barkley caught nine passes, 12 targets for 99 yards. That just can't be. I mean, he's a great player and all, but, you know, that in that game, Belk- Odell Beckham Jr. eliminated six catches, 44 yards. And last week, when Eli Manning was, was unstoppable, basically, he completed passes to nine different receivers. Odell Beckham Jr. led the team last week. Four catches, four targets, 74 yards, and a touchdown. That's the way it should be. You put the ball in the hands of your most dynamic playmaker, and of course good things are going to happen. And you, we, could, we could debate Odell Beckham all day long, but the fact of the matter is the guy is a playmaker. You cannot deny the fa- that fact. It's a fact. And then finally... For the Giants to win, they need to withstand that pressure from the Eagles' front four. In their last meeting, the Eagles' defensive line, just they had their way with the Giants' offensive line. Four different Eagles sacked Eli Manning in Week 6. Michael Bennett, defensive end, an outside linebacker, defensive tackle, and, and two defensive tackles. So, you know, and, and, oh, and, and Michael Bennett, by the way, was, was the extra special strip stack variety which is always wonderful. But it's not week six anymore, guys. It's week week 12. And the Giants, with this Jamon Brown, they, they seem to be handling the pressure pretty good. Again, they're 2-0 and since his signing. And, and last week, Eli probably didn't even need the ice bath. He was only hit five times. That's it. So, and, you know, you're looking at the Eagles. Obviously, they're, they're one key to victory. One of them is going to be Carson Wentz. He's been a little inconsistent because in, in the meeting with the Giants, he had three touchdown passes, which his most recent game probably was the worst game of his career. But, you know, Sunday, I can imagine Wentz playing with a little chip on his shoulder, a little something to prove to to the Eagles fans and the home crowd, for example. And, uh, you know, Josh Adams, he might he might have been the running back. He might have been the only bright spot for that elite week 11 game. 53 rushing yards, 7 carries, and he scored the only touchdown. So maybe an expanded role for him is in order for week 12, which is obviously going to relieve a little pressure from, uh, from Carson Wentz. Now the Giants, and, and I feel like I say this all the time on my show that I have, but the Giants have a hard time covering the tight end. They do. And they still... I mean, they limited O.J. Howard last week, five receptions, six targets, 78 yards, though. It's kind of like a lot. And In October, when they met last time, Giants and Eagles, that is, Zach Ertz, he caught a 10-yard touchdown pass. And he's a tight end, everybody. So if I'm the Eagles, I'm putting him in the best position to succeed, which is going to be in Landon Collins' coverage zone. The more times they target Ertz, the better for them. And obviously, all eyes are going to be from the Eagles' defensive standpoint, limiting Saquon Barkley. I mean, in Week Six, he was the single most offensive, uh, productive offensive player for the for the for the Giants. In addition, he had 99 receiving yards, and he also posted on the ground 130 yards and a touchdown, including that 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 big 50-yard rush. If you remember, in that game, 
The Giants had 401 total yards. Barkley, 229. And I'm no math teacher, but that's over half of them were Barkley's. So, and, and, and Eli's saying that, that Saquon improves every week, and, and that's kind of bad news for the Eagles because he's just, Barkley's just too good. And I think that was the right choice coming out of the draft this year. All signs pointed to Eli Manning having playing like he played in the past two weeks. Saquon was the best player in the draft. To me, that was an easy choice. I'm sure some callers will, will want to debate that. But, I mean, the Giants have been a different team. They've had a, a different attitude, a different outlook. And, and they, they even have a different line com- uh, offensive line combination. Because uh, in Week 12, two of the five positions are filled by different bodies. I mean, they've had such turnover on the line that the Giants, they, they seem to, you know, when you, you play with a Rubik's Cube, those of us that, there's got to be a way to do it so fast. But those of us that don't know that way, you know, you keep kind of turning it until you get one side that fits at least. It's kind of what the Giants are doing with their offensive line. They've got Spencer pulling in now. He's the starting center. Jamon Brown, he's the right guard. And then the combination seems to be working well enough for the Giants. And from this standpoint, everything else seems to be kind of clicking for the Giants. Barkley, Manning, Beckham. That's what that's on paper, the Giants that we were expecting coming into this season. So you add a little defensive takeaway or two and, and some points off that, even a field goal. I think the Giants might are in position to maybe win their third straight game. And the last time the Giants won three consecutive games, November of 2016. And you know who that opponent was that time? The Philadelphia Eagles. So I think the Giants are going to win this week. Uh, we'll take more of your calls after the break. I'd like to get into a little bit of baseball. If you guys want to talk some baseball, you guys know the phone number, 877-337-6666. Sports Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving yet again. I'm Danielle McCartan here on WFAN. And uh, we're, we're, we're together till 3 o'clock in the morning. So if you guys have what whatever's on your mind, we're going to take it. 877-337-6666. Uh, you know, I'd like to get into sort of a touchy topic with Mets fans. Is he going to be Noah Seagard soon? Is he going to be packing his bags and leaving Queens? Well, you know, first of all, I think the Mets need to decide what sort of organization they are and what kind of organization that they're going to strive to be. They're in a good position to do it. Brody Van Wagenen, he is the out-of-the-box candidate that the Mets are looking for and have looked for, and they hired him. Okay, He's with the Mets, whether you like it or not. And the fate of one of the Mets' most beloved and most productive starting pitchers, Noah Syndergaard, it's hanging in the balance. So uh, at a Thanksgiving charity organized by the team, Mets owner Jeff Wilpon from a stoop in, I forget where they were, but on on somebody's stoop, they were delivering uh, food. Uh, Someone asked him and he said, and this is a quote, it all depends on what Brody thinks he can get back. If he thinks he can return, if he thinks the return is outsized from what the value of Noah is, then I guess he'll suggest it and we'll move on and do that. But it takes two to make a trade and it would have to be pretty lopsided. Now, to me, pretty lopsided means that for Syndergaard, 
the Mets are going to need to receive an offer that they can't refuse. You know, I talked about lasagna before on Thanksgiving. You know, a real leave-the-gun-take-the-cannoli type of deal for Noah Syndergaard. And to me, that's defined as that trade needs to be rich with players that are not developmental projects, either at the minor league level, if they need fundamental work or whatever, or at the major league level. Maybe it's a guy that's switching positions. That is one thing that they, you know, they can't have in, in whatever deal they entertain for uh, Noah Syndergaard. For me, it must include most, if not all of the players, preferably all of them, that could play at the major league level right now. Because we know, and pun intended, you can swing and miss on these, these prospects. Some of them never pan out. So you to trade Noah Syndergaard, you need to be sending me back, if I'm Brody Van Wagenen, you need to be sending me back guys that can play at the major league level, N-O-W, now. And then the final thing that, that I think that would include is players that address the Mets' most pressing needs. You know, the Mets have some holes, including the back end of that bullpen, catcher, and third base in that order. Because this Todd Frazier, you know, he's he's gone at the end of this season. So can you find somebody now that could replace him and get more playing time? So, you know... If the offer sheet that Van Wagenen receives includes these three things, I know, Mets fans, that sending Noah Syndergaard packing would be very difficult, but it's the logical choice. Even without Syndergaard, the Mets have a formidable starting rotation. It begins with 2018 Cy Young winner Jacob deGrom. It next could be Zach Wheeler, and next could be Steven Matz, probably in that order. And I did a little math. <laughs> you know, uh, hear me out. If DeGrom even had a little bit more run support in 2018, how many more wins would he have? Let's just say, because the runner-up was uh, Max Scherzer. Let's, he had 18 wins. Let's just say hypothetically that uh, DeGrom had 18 wins this season, right? So the Mets were a 77-win team. The difference is eight. So 77 plus eight. If DeGrom just gets a little bit more run support, they're at, hypothetically speaking now, hypothetically, I know, 86 wins. Next, the Mets pitchers, the relievers, blew 18 saves last season. And the league lease was 14. So let's just say we can add the difference. Four more uh, wins onto, onto the Mets. Now the Mets, uh, 86 and 90, try to keep up. Though That's... Uh, I mean, 86 uh, plus 4 is 90 wins. Guess what? The NL East, Atlanta Braves, accumulated 90 wins in 2018. So in in 2018. So if 2019 Mets could, if they could just score a few more runs, and if they could just prevent a few more runs in the latter stages of the games, you know, they could be a playoff team next year. Dare I say it. I mean, obviously Noah Syndergaard won 13 games in 2018. But if they could trade him, re-up their starting pitching rotation with a pitcher that even wins just 10 games because they're going to get so much more offensive production, hopefully, theoretically, out of him, a deal for him. And, hey, you know, if if what Noah Syndergaard could, could yield, you don't know. And I think that the Mets should begin to start acting like the big market team that they are. And, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I think 
they should be pulling out all the stops to bring Manny Machado to Queens. Steak dinner, wine and dine that guy. Bring him to Queens. Because, you know, what I don't agree with this is Wilpon said Van Wagenen is sorting through trade possibilities. And he said that the free agent stuff is secondary. Secondary. I don't totally believe that. Because Machado for the Mets would be absolutely out of the park. It would be a grand slam. And that was a major pun intended there. So, you know, I think the Mets fans have trust issues with the Mets front office because obviously they're a big market team. And, yeah, they do run their team like a small market one. And their general manager has never made a trade. Their new one has never made a trade on behalf of an organization. He was a player's agent. So, you know, Mets fans, they're clearly divided on the issue because, you know, for some, like a yes, let's trade Syndergaard or a no was pretty difficult because I put I put that as a poll on my Twitter, at Coach McCartan, and it was yes, no, and I had a lot of write-in votes on there. So the Mets fans, it seems to be that they were grappling between what the Mets will do and what they should do. So it's going to be interesting how Van Wagenen handles this. Do they trade the beloved Noah Syndergaard? Or do they and, and keep him on a roster that's devoid of offensive production? Or for the exact right package, does the hammer need to come down on Thor? So we're going to see what Brody Van Wagenen has up his sleeve in terms of this. And this could be a potentially polarizing move, whether he keeps him or not. So Mets fans, let's hear from you. 877 337 Let's go to the phones. Ray? Ray, can you hear me? Uh, yes. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to bring Le'Veon Bell to the Jets. I mean, I never met the man. I never made eye-to-eye contact with him. All right? Okay. Nor have I ever shook his hand or anything. But okay. coming off uh, losing $14 million, I don't expect him to be a, a happy camper, all right? And we can't take those chances, all right? On, on this young team with a young quarterback, all right? I don't think it's a good idea. All right, uh, Le'Veon Bell, I mean, what a mistake. $14 million, he decides he doesn't want to play for $14 million, right? Now he's been sitting around for a year, okay? Let's say we give him a whole lot of money, right? And now his body's not prepared to play football anymore. He goes out there and he, he tweaks something on the first play of his, of his check career. I don't think so. What do you think? Uh, okay, right. Thanks for the call. I mean, yeah, I mean, there obviously are concerns with Le'Veon Bell, beginning with the fact that he's been on jet skis in Miami and, and, and not playing in NFL action for this entire season. Yeah, that's a concern. Sure. But you talk about a young team. Bell, what is he, 26, 27 years old? He's not old. He is in the prime of his career. And the guy is a playmaker, uh, both as a, as a runner and as a pass catcher, he comes knocking to the Jets' door, which odds say that the Jets are, are the number one team to, to land him. If he comes knocking, I, I think you answer the door. I, I don't think you let a guy like that go. Because he is, you know, and I know everybody's saying, oh, James Conner's doing the same or, or better than he would have done in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Sure, they have a great offensive line. If the Jets can build out the offensive line, Le'Veon Bell to the Jets would be an amazing thing. Okay, I know that you don't want to spend all that money on him because possibly it, it could 
it could backfire. But isn't that the case with, with anybody, with any contract, that it could backfire? Right? So, I, I, and Ray, I wish I would have got your opinion on this. Do the Jets have any playmakers this year? Because the answer is that, that they don't. And they don't have any playmakers to surround that young quarterback of Sam Darnold. And and I saw uh, on the way in that, that the Jets are looking to extend Quincy Inunua. Well, that's a start. But to me, Quincy Inunua isn't a number one receiver. You know, he's a good two. The Jets need to get some guy that can absolutely dominate, a physical receiver that can dominate. And what kind of bothered me was the fact that the Jets, knowing that they really don't have any weapons on offense and knowing that, you know, you got some guys, you know, your number one wide receiver in Robbie Anderson was banged up. Knowing that, they let a wide receiver go. And now, you know, you see the Saints. The, the Saints worked out Des Bryant. He got hurt, obviously. And then Brent, they worked out Brandon Marshall. They, I mean, Brandon Marshall's a physical receiver. But even the Saints, what I'm trying to say, even the Saints are trying to better themselves at, at, from that standpoint. Yet the Jets are kind of just waiting back and, and waiting for what to happen. I, I'm not really that sure. Especially since you have some injuries to your wide receiving core. I, I just don't understand what they're waiting for. They're, they're a little hesitant, which is a little bit concerning to me. They're not trying to get better this season. Now, I think the, the, the injury to Sam Darnold... I think they're gonna they're they're gonna take as long as possible to get him back in action. I think this is McCown's team. Um, I I, I want to say through the end of the season, but I know that's not going to happen. And and everybody's saying, oh well, they didn't get a new coach because they didn't want to, you know, have Sam Darnold, you know, learn a whole new system, adapt to a new coach. And well, if if Bowles is out the door now. I think Sam Darnold, his progression is going to be even slower because then you get a new head coach coming in and he's got to learn a whole new playbook, first of all. And that's a step back. Obviously, that's going to be a step back for him in his development. And he's already regressed this season. Whether you want to admit it or not, Sam Darnold has regressed. And that's a shame because he was one of the highest-touted quarterbacks coming out of the draft. I mean, come on, the Jets traded all their capital, a lot of their capital, to move up to get him. And now, you know, he was in a walking boot. I think he's out of it now, and it just hasn't panned out for them. So uh, a brand-new coach and a new system next year, maybe Le'Veon Bell would be the best thing. It would take a lot of pressure off of him because we know that Le'Veon Bell is a producer, both in the running game and in the passing game. You can look at the stats. The only concern would be, you know, if uh, if he's healthy enough, if he comes back and, and he is he is in NFL shape, and that's just something we'd have to see. And I'm sure the Jets will do their due diligence on that. So, um, you know, speaking of free agents in NFL, is New York a landing spot for baseball's most eligible free agents? And I'm talking Harper and Machado. We'll get into that after the break, and we'll take some more of your phone calls have hit the market, and they may land in either the Bronx or in Queens. Like an episode of The Bachelor, suitors are lining up with their best offers to woo them. Teams are trying to sell them both lucrative contracts and the best aspects of yet their cities 
and their ball clubs. Let the courtship begin. Who said chivalry was dead? Let's meet eligible free agent number one, outfielder Bryce Harper. He's 26. He's got Scott Boris as his agent, and Boris says he's a generational player. Individual awards and accolades, there are a ton of them, including six-time All-Star, NL MVP, NL Rookie of the Year, Silver Slugger, the list goes on. Home Run Derby champion, number of World Series won for Bryce Harper, zero. Positions played, right field, center field, left field, and he has not rolled out first base. Does he have any offers on the table? Well, not exactly. It's said that he, uh, USA Today reported that he rejected a 10-year, $300 million deal from the Washington Nationals uh, in September, his club at the time in September. And let's meet free agent number two, infielder Manny Machado. Again, Manny Machado, like Bryce Harper, is 26 years old. His agent is Dan Lozano. And the notable quote coming out of this is, we've heard it at nauseum, but we got to say it again here. I'm not the type of player that's going to be Johnny Hustle. That's not my personality, that's not my cup of tea, and that's not who I am. Some individual in, uh, accolades for him, four-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, and a Platinum Glove Award in 2013. Number of World Series won, same as Harper, zero. Positions played, third base and shortstop. Offers on the table, none yet. But NBC Philadelphia is expect- uh, speculating Machado is seeking compensation north of $250 million. Number of years is, is unknown so far. Now people have scoured, they're still scouring social media accounts for clues. Machado is much less active on social media. Uh, but there is this quote tweet from Harper. I'm just trying to fuel fire here. Harper quote tweeted uh, Aaron Judge. Is that a possible link? Yeah, we're running like a TMZ show style tonight. So what are the chances that one or both of these players end up on the New York baseball clubs? We'll get to that in a minute. We got Steve in Paramus wants to talk some Mets. What's up, Steve? You're on the fan. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? I just want to give you uh, props on figuring out exactly why the Mets could have been a 90-win team. You were absolutely right. That's what I've been saying to everybody. <laughs> you never trade Syndergaard. They were very close. Yeah. They're never gonna. They're never gonna just sell out on the ground the way they did last year. This team needs a, a good relief, good relief pitcher. You keep that pitching staff intact. That's always the primary thing to do. You could always get a hitter. These hitters come and go as they go. You get the free agent, Machado, and you put it all together. You have Alonso. You have McNeil. Everything else comes into play. It's really that simple. Yeah. If they start messing around with Syndergaard, they do a real man's trade. You ready for a real man's trade? Go ahead. What do you got for me? Fantasy baseball. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Here's the kind of trades you do with a guy like Syndergaard. Mm-hmm. Mike Trout, Syndergaard, straight up. Oh. Aaron Judge, Pertanzas. Syndergaard, straight up. Mm. Mookie Betts, Syndergaard, straight up. Those are the kind of deals, and they're not going to happen. So the thing is, that's what I want the Mets. So get Machado and get every, and keep everything else. Bring up Alonzo, keep everything else. Get that relief pitcher. There's your ninety plus wins, and there's your player. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Thanks, yeah. thanks for the call. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem, Steve. Thanks for that. So Steve is is of the uh, of the. Um, Mindset that the Mets should stay put on Syndergaard unless you get, like, in his words, we're playing fantasy baseball here on the fan at one ten in the morning on now Black Friday. Yes, straight up. Trout, I don't know if they're going to, you know, part with Trout. I, it's bets, but 
but he's on the right track. Th- those are the kind of deals, like I said before, that you want to see the Mets make. You want to see the Mets make deals for guys that are players now. Surefire players. Forget the prospects. Not all of them always pan out. And and that's the kind of deal you need to make. And yes, I agree with you. You need to pull out all the stops, as I've been saying, for Manny Machado. Let's play some big boy ball here. And maybe Maverick Van Wagenen, maybe he's going to do that. We don't know what he's going to be doing just yet. Mark, in, in southern Mexico? Is that right? That's that's right, Deborah. How are you? Good. How are you, Mark? I'm all right. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. You and, and best to you and your family. Thank you. Um, yeah, my first call ever to the fan. Nice. And, I'm, and, and I am such a long-time listener um, and a first-time caller, believe it or not. I'm honored. Um, well, um, I was because a couple of things that you said made a lot of sense to me, and I wanted to just run through them. Sure. Um, I would never have thought about trading um, Thor in a million years. Mm-hmm. But, when you, but when you put it the way you did about filling the position player roles, filling in what, what we need in the bullpen, and, and going after Manny, I want to say, yeah, I actually agree. I mean, we have a we have a great top of the rotation. Yep. There are some good young arms coming in. I mean, I don't know what the deal is with the young first baseman, um, Alonzo. You know, whether Alonzo, whether I'm on him. You know, I like with, him. With, I, I like him too. From what I've from what I've seen, but but um, I think that what you're saying makes a ton of sense. And I, and I want to throw my hat into that ring and mm-hmm. say, you know, I, I mean, I love Thor, but, but, but to be frank, um, he's, I mean, he's great. I'm, I'm, I, I follow him on, on Twitter. He's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's more fun than he is. Um, he's, he's, he's not, he's not the Grom. He's, he's not, I mean, he's a, great young arm mm-hmm. and that seems to be it i mean i don't know i could be argued out of this position yeah um i live in southern mexico i only get to listen to you know the guys on the radio and sometimes we get some games on the on on television so i only see this and that but what thor looks like to me is a very a very, very strong arm who may not ever get above, get to the next level. Your thoughts? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's a 13-win pitcher. We can't knock him for that. There, exactly. there, are, there are some injury concerns with him for sure, but I think you sell high on him. You sell high on, on Syndergaard. You plug some holes, and, and you see what happens. Because the Mets, I think a lot of Mets fans are always so down on the team. 77 wins, sure, you could be down on that. Make a couple changes here. Score a few more runs there. I think the Mets aren't as bad off as people are making them out to be. No, I think that, I, I think it was especially in the last third of the season. I thought they were a, a terrific team. Uh, not terrific. Right. They were a strong team. Right. They were uh, a, a, an optimistic team. Yeah. 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 So I think that that, that your take on this is 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 actually. You know, normally I—I I, I mean, I've never called a host before, but I listen a lot. I think your your take is dead on. If we can get um, 
two or three good mm-hmm. um, position players or, or just two and get some bullpen help and yep. get Manny, mm-hmm. go for it. Yep, Why I agree. Not? I agree. And Mark, I'm honored that I'm, I'm your first phone call to the fan in, in how many years? A lot? Um, my God, since, since the first, since the beginning days of Mike and the Mad Dog. Oh, wow. How about that? Wow. Wow. Well, I'm honored, yeah. Mark. Thanks for checking out the show. Appreciate it. Well, well, thanks for being there, and, and it's great to hear your voice, and I'll try to follow you. Yeah, it's uh, Coach McCartan, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I got it. Okay, cool. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate right. it. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, so, I mean, it does It does make a lot of sense, guys. It, it, it does. And but the 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 main point I want to just keep hammering home is that if you trade Noah Syndergaard, you're not just doing it for for so and so or so and so. You need guys that are going to play right now. You got Alonzo at first. Off the top of my head, I'm trying to think. Yeah, McNeil at second, Rosario at third, uh, at, at shortstop. You put Machado. Pull out all the stops. You get Machado to third. I mean, he's used to being. On, on, he's used to being, let's just say, the big fish in, uh, on a small team, let's just say. And think about the Orioles. Um, you know, you, you kind of hook them that way. Be like, hey, you are going to be the face of this franchise. You know, we understand you have, we, people have some concerns with your hustle and things like that. But this is the New York is the best place you can be in order to, to shed that. Because if you saw... Manny Machado has started to try to backtrack on on some of those comments that he made because maybe the offers aren't coming in. Maybe the offers aren't what he thought they were going to be. So he comes out and and issues a statement or or does an interview where he's kind of walking back those comments about how he, uh, uh, you know, he, he, that's, that's not exactly what he meant about the Johnny hustle comments. Well, you know, if you're in the World Series and, and you're not running out of ball that was hit off the wall, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but, you know, you can market it as, hey, like, this is New York City. If you can, to steal a line from Jay-Z, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, Manny Machado. And I think Manny Machado makes a lot of sense for the Mets. And, and just to just hammer one more point home about, about Thor, I mean, we everybody, like like the caller said, Mark, he 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 is... A, a beloved Met, one of the most beloved Mets on that whole entire team. But if you can get some players for him, and you could turn some of those losses around, just a few of them. And I know, you know, there's there's changes going to that's going to be happening on each and every single team. I get that. But the Mets, Mets fans, you know, sometimes get a little too down and out because they're not so bad. They have some nice pieces. I mean, a Brandon Nimmo, a Michael Conforto. Uh, a Cy Young winning pitcher. I mean, that's not a real bad place to start. It's not. So, and 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 I'm sure uh, I, I'm I'm gonna run out of time in this, but I, we'll come up to the other side after the break. But if you look at Manny Machado's career statistics, and he it's been gathered over seven seasons on two different teams, and if he translated them into the 2018 Mets lineup, I hope Brody Van Wagenen, I hope you're listening. If you translated his career statistics into the Mets lineup of 2018, Manny Machado would have led the team in batting average and in hits. Well, isn't that what the Mets need? And if you even look a little closer at his numbers, Machado had a very poor showing in his rookie season. So if you take out that outlier in the data, 
And if you eliminate that season and run the numbers again for his career, he still would have posted the highest batting average for the 2018 Mets and collected the most hits. But he would have tied 2018 leader Michael Conforto for home runs and runs batted in. And based on his career average, he would have finished fourth on this year's Mets in runs scored. And first, if you if you eliminate that rookie season, Machado, he's durable. He plays in an average of 132 games a season. And that figure includes the rookie season, where he only played in 51 games. 132 games played would have put him fourth on the Mets list. And third, if you eliminate that rookie season. So if the Mets decide they're going to keep Noah Syndergaard, and that's a thing that they have to work out on their own, what kind of identity they're going to have, Machado is the type of player that the Mets need to break the bank for, regardless of his level of hustle. They will be exponentially better with Manny Machado. And they're going to have to buck up, and they're going to have to pay him the most expensive contract the Mets have ever paid. And and I, 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 coming up, I want to talk about a, a catcher. I'm going to post it on my social media. So uh, I know we're coming up on the break, but go to my social media. I'm going to post... Um, Stats from three nameless catchers. And I want you to call up the WFAN studios and tell me which catcher you're picking. And then I'm going to tell you what the names are. Okay? So, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. And uh, talk to you on the other side of the break. Hey, guys. I'm Danielle McCartan. Back with you. I I just posted something on my social media, which I said I would do. Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I posted a graphic that I made of three catchers. All of them are better than the current Mets catchers, but they have no names on. They're just labeled catcher one, two, and three. I'm going to let this sit for a little while. I want you guys to tell me which of those three catchers are you going to take. And uh, there's all kinds of categories that I put. But the most important categories to catchers, in my opinion. So those were the numbers I ran, and I want you guys to tell me which you would, what you would choose. Hey, hey, did I mention, still talking about Manny Machado, did I mention that he has a World Series experience? Add some pieces to the back end of that bullpen and a more productive catcher, which we'll get into in a minute. Come on. Pull out all the stops, Mets. Let's do it. And let's talk a little bit about Yankee baseball. Mike in Valley Stream, you're on the fan. How are you doing, Danielle? Uh, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. You I too, just Mike. wanted to talk about the Manny Machado thing, but uh, yeah. I think he's definitely going to the Yankees. There's no question about it. He wants to be there. The Yankees want him. He wants them. And that's the, the you know, it's going to be like one of those things where the Yankees are keeping this quiet. As far as the no hustle comments, I think that's definitely, that, that definitely got eliminated when he, like, you know, like came out and publicly said that he didn't mean it in that way. He didn't interpret it in that way. But mm. in the, at, the, at the end of the day, he's going to be a Yankee. The Yankees have the most money. And they and they and they have Didi out for like five months. They need a shortstop. I know they could switch Torres to short, but they're going to get their guy. And I think they're getting Manny or Harper. They're not getting both. And I'm hearing from John Hammond now one of his tweets saying that the Yankees are going to get either one of those guys. It's either going to be Harper or Machado. But Harper wants like four hundred million, so that's completely out. They're not getting him. But I think Machado's more reasonable. Plus, you need you know a shortstop. I mean, like you're missing for like five months. So that's what I think they're going to do. And uh, well, what do you? What's your take? You, 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 do you want Minshato? I mean, at the Yankees, I think they they have to have him. I mean, well, what do you think? Yeah, uh, Mike, thanks for the call. There's a lot to unpack in that, and Mike's he's right on a lot of different things because at this year's trade deadline, Manny Machado for the people that that, that have time to do this, they uh, they went through his Instagram and he went on some sort of liking spree of Photoshop images of himself wearing the Yankees uniforms when you know when it wasn't sure where he was going. 
So, yeah, I think you're right that Machado wants to be a Yankee. Uh, they are keeping it kind of quiet. Um, I just think that, you know, Yankee fans and, and the Yankee media really jumped on Gary Sanchez. He was crucified for days by fans and media alike on Twitter for not hustling out of the batter's box on a game-ending bases-loaded ground out. It was a 7-6 to six loss to the Tampa Bay Rays. And and we're talking about not in the in the World Series. This is like, you know, July, I think this happened. This happened in July, not September, October, not a playoff run, and not, definitely not in the World Series. And even Michael Kay tweeted his disdain. And Michael Kay is, you know, been accused of being some sort of, it's being a homer, okay? Even Michael Kay said some disdain for Sanchez's lack of effort. So I'm not sure... I mean, that sort of resonates with um, Yankee fans especially, um, based on Gary Sanchez. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in terms of the Yankees needing a shortstop, yeah, they are going to need a shortstop through the summer with Didi Gregorius being out. Um, but, listen, I think maybe you forgot, Glaber Torres is a shortstop. He's a shortstop by trade. He's playing second base because Didi Gregorius is the shortstop. So I, I didn't want to say this just yet. But maybe I won't. But I have a, I have this figured out for the Yankees as well. I, it's an, and it starts with Gleyber Torres sliding over into the shortstop position, and then the Yankees going out and getting my Black Friday deal for the Yankees, a uh, a second baseman. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, I, and the only way I'm behind the Yankees shelling out all this money for Machado is if they deal him at the deadline. They work out some sort of a contract that's friendly for other teams, and they deal him for maybe a high end starter at the trade deadline. And now we're we're talking. It's it's November twenty third, and we're talking about the trade deadline of next year. I get that, I do. But just you know, you have to remember that Aaron Judge is playing on his rookie contract. For example, so is Gary Sanchez, and you got John Carlos Stanton uh, for however many years and however many dollars a lot. You can't eventually, you, you can't afford to pay all of them, can you? I mean, the Yankees, maybe they could, but do you want to be paying all of them all at once? I'm not so sure. The Chief in Cherry Hill, the Chief, I like that. You're on the fan. What's up? I'm doing good, Daniela. How are you? Good. How's your thing sitting? I hope you enjoyed. Um, my, my po- I have two points. One about yeah. the Yankees, one about, uh, one about the Giants. Mm-hmm. My first point about the Yankees is... I I think you know this whole this whole talk about Manny Machado. I think is all very nice, and as you said earlier, you know if people get pissed off about the way he the way he lacks, you know, in in terms of hustle, you know, just look at you know look at Gary Sanchez. He doesn't hustle at all. And, you know, he survives as a Yankee. And, you know, he does get he does, he does get a little bash, but Machado is not going to be much of a problem in, in my opinion. But you know, if if it's Machado or Harper, like John Heyman is is tweeting out, mm-hmm. you know, you got, you got to go with Harper. I mean, yep. there's, there's too too much right-handed power. You know, yep. you, I don't mind them getting Machado, but you you, you got to get him and Harper or another lefty. I totally agree with you. My next point that I was going to make, then thanks for the call. Uh, I think if you're the Yankees now, between Harper and Machado, if it is going to be one of them, you have to go Harper. I mean. You, you would think, first of all, that Harper would want to leave the National League to play on him in the American League because when he's not in the outfield and in the, the rotation of the outfielders, he's going to still want to contribute to the team by being a DH. And 
if you look at the spray chart of Bryce Harper, especially his home runs, we'll say, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see where the majority of his home runs went throughout his career. They're the center field, right center, and the most of them have been hit from right center to the foul pole. Huh. He must be salivating over how many home runs he can hit at Yankee Stadium. Because, you know, besides that little nook down the right field line at Fenway Park, the Yankees have the most shallow dimension for a right field in the entire MLB. And in a way, you know, the Yankees need Harper too, as you just alluded to, because let's just say uh, game three of the, the ALDS, that's the lineup I picked, right? The Yankees' starting lineup had seven right-handed batters and only two left-handed batters. And think about this. This is just another thing to think about. Although Luke Voigt, we, we still need to figure out what Luke Voigt is, okay? And that's the Yankees' front office. Was he the guy at the end of the season that, that just came through and was just that productive guy? Because the Yankees still have question marks at first base, too. Was Luke Voigt, was he a fluke? Is Greg Bird finally going to be healthy enough to put together a productive campaign? The fact that, and, and Scott Boris knows what he's doing, because in 2018, last season, Harper experienced his first and only game as a first baseman. Went right in the midst of Yankees having all those problems at first base. In doing this, him and his agent are showing the entire league that he is athletic enough and he is smart enough to play just anywhere including the position at which the Yankees are most thin. So I think if you're picking between, you know, Harper and Machado for the Yankees, if you're the Yankees, God, you got to go Bryce Harper. Tyler in Connecticut, you're on the fan. Hey there, Danielle. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Not so bad. Uh, I, w- I just want to talk a-, a couple points about the Manny Machado thing that you brought up uh, 15, sure. 20 minutes ago. Let's do it. Yeah, Bill, um, you were saying that you you think Manny Machado, I mean, we've had the other callers talking about how they'd be good for the Yankees, but why exactly do you think it's good for the Mets? Well, for- me, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, finish. Uh, me personally, all the Johnny Hustle stuff is not a big deal. It just proves who Manny Machado is as a player, first and foremost. Okay. You know, it, it's basically... He's proven that he doesn't want to play the game the right way. And then the Mets are essentially, or whatever team, maybe wants to sign him as a shortstop. But does, there's, there's no anything to prove that he can actually stay there for the course of a deal. You know, So you're paying him premium money to do something that he can't do well, over the course of this deal. I mean, if you're talking about his durability, the guy played in 162 games last season. Oh. Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm not speaking to durability. I'm oh. speaking to actual talent level. Like, his advanced metrics on defense mm-hmm. only improved when he went to L.A., but who's to say that he was actually playing better in L.A. in terms of where he did with the Orioles? And his park factors were so much better in Camden Yards than they will be almost anywhere else, you know? Like, I, I just don't think that he's worth the money that people are talking about as they go. I th- and I think, and, and thanks for the call, Tyler. Yeah, I think that he is running into that. I think he's experiencing that. Whether it be that he's not worth $300 million, sure. Could it be his Johnny Hustle comments? Maybe. Um, 
But I just, I, I don't see him garnering a $300 million deal. I just don't think so. And, and, and I'll reiterate, you know, because he asked, why is Manny Machado best fit for the Mets rather than the Yankees, I think was the question. Well, because if you run his career numbers and you take out that rookie season, he, he's, he leads the Mets in offensive production. And that's the one thing that the Mets seriously lacked in, in 2018, for example, was offensive production. Machado would be an immediate upgrade for the Mets, whether he plays third base, shortstop, catcher, left bench, whatever. I'm just being facetious, but his offensive production is the reason to bring him to the Mets. Austin in Jersey City, you're on the fan. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Pretty good. Yeah, just as a quick aside, I, yeah. I need to knock on callers, but the whole notion of playing the game the right way, that, that, that talk about a big construct, because that, that encompasses <laughs> a lot. Such a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is that? How do you, how do you define that? Yes. You write an encyclopedia. You know? <laughs> but anyway... I, I just want to say I'm I'm, I'm not necessarily being pro or against uh, Manny Machado. Um, uh, my, uh, for the my, Yankees or for the Mets? No, I'm, that, that was I, I told the screen I wasn't even interested in, in, in that discussion. I wanted oh, to more like okay. p- parse down his uh, viability as a person, okay. and as a player. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, I, I get I get uh, angry when people try to combine arguments that saying that he's maybe slothful and and and, and, and there's reasons to, to to be worried about that by some of the stuff that's come out of his mouth and maybe some of his patterns in, in playing. Mm-hmm. But when you combine that with his running towards the base and supposedly making a dirty play, uh, mm-hmm. if you're running towards first and the guy's got his foot there on the bag, where is your foot supposed to land? Aren't you risking injury if you sort of at the last minute throw your foot off the side in order to avoid? And, and I don't know if that's a dirty play, if he did it on purpose or not. Isn't it to some degree sort of irrelevant because, as I just mentioned, mm-hmm. if the guy's foot is on the bag, where is his foot supposed to plant as he's running down first? Correct. So you can argue that, okay, don't, don't try to bolster your non-Johnny hustle play by saying he's a supposedly dirty player, because they're two separate criteria. You're trying to pile on him, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. By adding this other thing, which is really not connected to, to the hustling thing. That's, that's basically all I wanted to say, Danielle. Great great hearing you, and uh, take care. I'll hang up and listen on the radio. All right, thanks, take care. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I, you know, it's just, it's, it's what, it seems to be, you know, however you want to see it, and that's the way you're going to interpret it. Um, and that's with everything. That's not in life, I'm saying. That's not just related to Manny Machado. But um, listen, I'm high on Manny Machado for the Mets, not the Yankees. And for the, you know, and I, I just went over all the reasons why. Um, I know we have some callers st- that still want to talk about Mets, Yankees. Uh, we are up against the break here. So we'll continue that discussion after the break. Town Fair Tire is Connecticut's largest name brand discount tire dealer. We give FAN FM New York. Well, you can't have New York without sports. And you can't have sports without the fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM. You're 66. WFAN New York. Hey, I'm Danielle McCartan here talking more Mets, Yankees, baseball, and some free agency here. So I'll be here till 3 a.m. Let's get the phone lines going, 877-337-6666. And I just wanted to kind of put a bow on what I was just saying about, you know, the Mets and Yankees and Harper and Machado, and I'll go to the calls. Um, So, uh, you know, people may be wondering that are listening, well, why hasn't she talked about Bryce Harper going to the Mets just yet? Well, uh, I'll tell you why, because Scott Boris is saying he's going to try to entertain not try to. He's going to entertain. The word he used was historical offers for Harper 
the Mets are likely already out. Um, I think uh, I had looked it up. The richest contract the Mets have ever signed in their entire 56-year history was eight years, $138 million. That was an extension to David Wright in 2012. So with report with reports saying that Harper has already turned down 10 years, $300 million, reportedly, coupled with the, the knowledge that, you know, the Wilpon family doesn't always like to break the bank to sign players, I think it's a conclusion that uh, you can make that Harper will not be calling Queens home at this stage of his career, at least. So I think, in that sense, that the, the Harpers are better fit, hit, fit for the Yankees than Machado because the only and like I said before to the caller, I think the only way I can get behind the Yankees signing Machado is if they flip him at the deadline for a pitcher, typically. Uh, I think that Harper was much more logical. His le- can you imagine if you're an opposing pitcher, right, and you are playing the Yankees, and your left-handed bat is sandwiched between the likes of Aaron Judge, he's a right-hander, and John Carlos Stanton, who's a right-hander, especially in Yankee Stadium, I think if I was an opposing pitcher, I'd, I'd have nightmares the night before <laughs> pitching to that lineup. And and listen, the fact of the matter is that the Yankees for years have been in search of an ace pitcher. And if they swing and miss on Harper, huh, another pun intended there, if they swing and miss on Harper, but they hit a home run on a stud ace pitcher, I, I just I really don't think Yankees universe would be too upset. Let's go to Vinny. You've been on hold for a little while. Thanks for hanging on there. Vinny and Mount Kisco, you're up on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you, Vinny? All right. Um, I was wondering, instead of signing Machado, I think they have enough infielders, enough right-handed power. You know, I, I don't know if he has an attitude anymore after he gets his $300 million or what. Maybe he gets complacent. Mm-hmm. He didn't run good in the World Series. Mm-hmm. But I really think that the Yankees should get back Hap, J.A. Hap. Yep. And I like Corbin a lot. I mean, I watch a lot of... I watch a lot of baseball on the Major League Baseball Network, and I stay up late mm-hmm. at night watching the uh, West Coast games. Yeah, wow, look look at you. <laughs> <laughs> so they're two lefties, Hap and Corbin, and the Yankees need lefty starters in the Yankee Stadium yes. because of the short porch in right field. Also because um, Severino and Tanaka are right-handed starters already. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't too keen. I mean, I like Sabathia, but he's going to be 39 in July, and he mm-hmm. gets that bad knee. He doesn't get off the mound, the field bunts. He doesn't make it to first base when he has to catch a throw from the uh, first baseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, was, I mean, maybe if they could put him in the bullpen, if he would accept that role. But they gave him $8 million. You know, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they could give Corbin, since he's young, $100 million for eight years, and... Uh, and three years, $37 million and a half, because he's a little older. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that would satisfy the team going into the, going into the season. And I know they're going to get um, the Gregorius back, and he's good for 25 homers, a lefty. So they might – I mean, I'd love to get Harper, yeah. but he can't play the outfield. we got a crowded outfield. Right. Now, if we can if put him at first base, that means we give up on Bird, and what do we do with Voight? So right, yeah, and the Mets. What the Mets, I think, should do, Daniel. I know you. I think you're a Mets fan because I've been listening for a while. Ah, uh, you'll never you, know. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I think the Mets got to go after Real Muto. I mean, the catcher from Miami. They need a catcher yeah. real bad. Um, either that or Wilson Ramos from the uh, Washington. But I don't know if the uh, Nationals are, are going to sign that guy. But I think Real Muto is going to cost money or players. So maybe the Mets should give up uh, maybe Gaselman and Lugo and uh, throw in some money. I don't know what, to do, what they're going to do there. 
What do you think? Uh, Vinny, I- I'm so glad that you brought up the catcher for the Mets. And, and, and I want you to see these stats. If you're on uh, Facebook, you can go facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Or if you're on Twitter, it's at Coach McCartan. Because I, I just, I- I'm, I'm so happy. This is going to be a Black Friday deal for the New York Mets at the catching department. Okay? I'm so happy he just brought that up. I think the Mets can get a, a quality catcher without giving up much of anything. Okay? Here we go. Brody Van Wagenen, I hope you're listening. I hope you're listening to this right now. Because I looked at three free agent catchers. Okay? And I compared them. Um, and, and yes, the Mets do have a void at catcher. We can all agree on that. Correct? So I, I checked out. Because what the Mets need is offensive production. So I looked at the batting average of these catchers, three catchers. I looked at the on-base percentage, career numbers. Then I looked at their defense, how many runners they had caught stealing. What was their 2018 fielding percentage? How old are they? How will the Mets acquire them via trade or free agency? I looked at their salaries. I looked at their 2019 market values. And I looked at their contact rate in all at-bats, and especially those in two-strike contacts, okay? The names of the catchers are, I'll give you the names. Um, I won't tell you who they are just yet. As, obviously, Yasmani Grandal, that's one. That's one of the three. Jan Gomes, another sexy name, that's two of the three. And the third catcher, his name is Jonathan Lucroy. You may have heard of him. Jonathan Lucroy. And drum roll, please, Jonathan Lucroy is catcher number one in the graphic. Okay, he leads the other two in batting average. He's slight. He's in second place on an on-base percentage. He was first in the MLB in caught, runners caught stealing next year. Uh, last year. He was 11th in fielding percentage, which is fine enough. He's a free agent. His 2019 market value, $2.3 million, which is cha-ching, good for the Mets. And his overall contact rate in the league, 14th. His two-strike contact, 31st. The other guys aren't even in the same ballpark as Jonathan Lucroy. So to solve the Mets catching, I've done it. The Mets, I don't know what they're waiting for. Brody Van Wagenen, listen to me. Jeff Wilpon, listen to me. Jonathan Lucroy is your guy. He's productive. Sure, he's 32. Okay, I get that. But he's still productive as evidence that his numbers are better than the guys. Gomes is 31 years old. Is Manny Grandal is 30. So if you're looking at my graphic on social media, catcher number one is Jonathan Lucroy, which a lot of you guys are saying that's the guy that you're picking. And cha-ching, it's Lucroy. Catcher number two is Jan Gomes. And catcher number three is Grandal. And, and Grandal, he, he's the name that's been thrown around the most. Okay, his contact rate in the league is, is, is 210th. 210th contact. And he's, his 2019 market value, by the way, $9.9 million. I just don't think, I fathom the Mets are going to spend $9.9 million on a catcher when they have Luke Roy here. His market value is like, I'm not a math teacher, but a third of that. And his production is better than that of Grandal. That, guys, is the solution to the Mets catching conundrum. Mets need to sign Jonathan Lucroy. Let's go to Robin Queens, continue the Mets discussion. What do you got for me? 
Hey, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you? I could have sworn the first catcher was Wilson Ramos, but I didn't even realize Luke Roy had that type of production last right? year. Right? That's that's really crazy to think about. And with the scarce farm system that the Mets have, yes. I really don't want to see them trade for a catcher. That's, Correct. It, it it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a good use of prospects. Right. Yeah. And and that is it's it's I'm not spreading fake news. That is Luke Roy, catcher number one. You gotta, that's incredible. If, if you're the Mets, you got to go after him for sure. And uh, what do you think about Daniel Murphy for the Yankees? Oh, you, know, you stealing base my guy, thunder. Left-handed bat. Yes, yes. That was play what I was going to do. Play first base a little bit. Yep. After the break, I was going to talk about my, my Black Friday deal. You just spoiled it, Rob. My, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my Black Friday deal for the Yankees. Yeah, you slide Glaber Torres over to shortstop, which I've already mentioned. And you go out and you get Daniel Murphy. And yes, I will, I will go over the reasons why right after the break. But yes, Daniel Murphy is my Black Friday deal for the New York Yankees. Yes. Thanks for the call, Rob. Thank you. Okay, let's go to Brian in Albany. With uh, He wants to talk Yankees. And Brian, uh, go ahead. You're on the fan. Yeah, what's up? I love the show. How are you? Thank you. Good. How are you? Good. I had a question like this. Everyone has all these great ideas about um, uh, signing different people. I want to know, if you were general manager, what would you do? For which team? For the Yankees? In, yeah. In terms of who, what, when, where? Yeah, in terms of who you sign, who you trade. Huh. That's that's sort of a loaded question. Okay, I, what I would do if I was the Yankees GM, uh, I would, uh, like the other caller suggested, I would add, try to add, uh, Paxton was a, a great addition, for sure, um, as uh, to the pitching uh, staff. I would look to add another lefty arm. Corbin might be the guy. I'd have to run some numbers on him. I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't really looked at the starting pitching that closely just yet for the Yankees to, to say, like, that's the guy I want. But if I'm the GM of the Yankees, a weakness that we've had for years on the Yankees' end is starting pitching. For sure. You need to shore up that starting pitching rotation. Um, Honestly, if if you are going to land Harper, which I think the Yankees should definitely chase Harper, I think you try and flip Giancarlo Stanton. Send him. One of the teams he wanted to go, go to was the Dodgers. So maybe you trade Stanton to the Dodgers. For I don't know prospects something, um, and I think Harper is the better option because he can also play first base if you really needed him to. He can it, it, have a, a rotating schedule over there with Bird, Voit, and Harper until it kind of shakes itself out. Because the uh, the outfield is crowded for the Yankees. If if you get rid of you know Stanton, you could still have you know you, you got Gardner on a one I think it was a one year deal. You got uh, Aaron Hicks. You got Aaron Judge. You, you have Frazier. Who's what are they going to do with Frazier? Who knows? And then you add Harper to that mix. That's 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 a home run. Uh, we're going to hit the break and we'll come back and we'll talk some more baseball. I'm Daniel McCartan on the fan. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66 Hey again, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan with you on WFAN. Got about 55 minutes left, so we're going to make the most of it. Uh, you guys get on board, 877-337-6666. I would love to hear your thoughts on anything New York sports. Um, and I, uh, on Twitter, there are a couple people telling me, okay, well, Luke Roy, uh, we don't like it. Because you know why? Because Luke Roy doesn't hit for any power. And I was just having that conversation with Marco Boletti here. Oh, you know what? If you're concerned about Luke Roy's home run production, I think you need to, to take a, just a little bit of a step back because the guy has uh, played last his last season 
at the Oakland A's Coliseum. All right, guys, and the Oakland A's Coliseum yields one of the least amount of home run totals in all of the MLB. I think it's like third to last in, in home runs yielded. Okay, so when you compare against Gomes, Cleveland, and, and uh, Grandal's Dodgers, those ballparks yield way more home runs. Okay, and also Luke Roy. Uh, the most home runs he's ever hit is 18 in a season. He put up four in, in 2018. But if you look at it, the guy scored last year 41 runs. The Mets could definitely benefit by having 41 more runs scored. No? So one of the callers before spoiled it. I have a Black Friday. It is Black Friday. Uh, and if you are shopping, if you're sitting in your car waiting for the store to open, I have a Yankees Black Friday deal right now for you. Um I think what you do in, in Didi Gregoris's absence for due to injury, what you do is you slide Torres over to his natural position at shortstop until Didi Gregorius comes back. I think if you're the Yankees, I, I think that you forget Machado because you're eventually going to have to pay Judge and Sanchez, who are playing under their rookie deals, pretty much probably in the same year, sooner rather than later. You have Stanton's contract too, massive. And Didi's entering his uh, fourth year of arbitration this season. So I think going out and getting the Machado is not good, and really the Harper either. But if it's one or the other, I'm picking Harper. But I think the bargain for the Yankees is going to be Daniel Murphy. Yes, that Daniel Murphy. Because the Yankees kind of know where they're at. The Yankees are in... um, Fine-tuning mode, not overhaul mode. Okay, so I think I think Daniel Murphy's a great signing for for at second base, obviously for the Yankees for I don't know two years because Fangraphs is projecting a two-year deal between nine million and fourteen million, and that wouldn't break the bank for the New York Yankees because um, why? why why am I saying Daniel Murphy? Oh, and, and one more point I want to make, and I'm going to make it here and with Luke Roy, you know. I know the MLB has gotten to feast or famine mode, home run strikeout mode, but you know you do need some guys in your roster, in your lineup, that are going to produce base hits and get on base. I think Luke Roy is that guy for the Mets, and I think Daniel Murphy is that guy for the Yankees because, again, talking about the short porch in right field, and, and, and you look at what StatCast has to say, Murphy pulled 53 of his 69 home runs since the 2015 All-Star break. Obviously, we talked about it before, but Yankee Stadium's right foul pole is closer, much closer than Nationals Park or Wrigley Field. So that number is going to go up. And then I found there's a statistic. It's called Weighted Runs Created Plus. What this is, it's a measurement of runs created based on ballparks, kind of like power rankings in a way. It kind of takes out the way uh, the way ballparks influence runs, okay? So... July 8th, Murphy, his weighted runs created plus were the exact same as Manny Machado's. Same stat, same number. So if you're going to pay $300 million for Machado, why not pay Murphy $15 million a year? Okay? So it, it also, Daniel Murphy's on base plus slugging percentage, 986 and that's 11th best all time among players with 100 postseason place, uh, played uh, appearances. That's the postseason we're talking. So are the Yankees two home run happy? Murphy's your contact hitter. He's, compare him to Machado, 
his overall contact rate is eighth. Machado's a hundredth. So, in other words, if you think Gardner, Brett Gardner, grinds out at bats, Murphy's ranked higher than him in, in the grinding out at bat category. Okay. Also, you look at two strike contacts. Machado's ninety sixth. Murphy's twenty first in the league. So, Manny Machado, who? Let's go to right here in Manhattan. Archie, you're on the fan. What's up? I'm impressed by your research. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, uh, Keiko or um, um, Conley, is that his name? Corbin? Corbin or Keichel? Keichel. Um, (laughs) See, you just uh, just complimented my research, and then... This I'll be very honest with you. This is something that I have not run the numbers on. I'll be very honest okay. with you, Archie. Also, uh, having Stanton, Sanchez, and Judge, what is their contact? How many strikeouts? Mm. 500 at least. So I would love to see Stanton in Dodger blue mm. and then replace him with Mike Brantley or Harper. Why not replace Stanton is painful to watch. What is the batting average for the Yankees with the bases loaded in 2018? It's 135. Astonishing. Astonishing because the contact right. percentage for the Yankees. Also, is there a average... Uh, RBI uh, based on the number of base runners inherited because Ooh, I'm Stanton sure. would not rate very well in that percentage because you you could get 100 RBIs with the Yankees much quicker than you would with uh, the Cubs or the, the uh, Indians or these other teams, don't you think? Yeah, and, and I think the biggest problem, um, and, and thanks for the call, Archie. I, yeah. I think the biggest problem with uh, trying to unload Giancarlo Stanton is his contract. It's a massive contract. You have to find a suitor that would be willing to pay it. Now, maybe the Dodgers are that team, but they just, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know if that's the answer. But like for this year, 2019, uh, Stanton's set to make $26 million. And it only kind of goes up from here pretty much until 2028. And that's a long-term contract. So I'm not sure Stanton's going anywhere. And I think, you know, I talked about at the top of the show what the Yankees are thankful for and Brian Cashman being one of them. I don't know about this deal. I don't know about the Stanton deal. I I wasn't high on it when it happened. And and you can go back in my social media and everything and find that. Um, I I don't know. But I think the the main thing is, is the contract. And I think you can't unload him due to that. Um, but and you brought up another point there, Archie, with with contact hitting. You know, I, I'm not I, call me old school. I mean, call me old school, but you still have to be able to put the ball in play and and score the runners when you have the bases loaded. And and good fundamental ball does that. That's how the Red Sox were built this year. And I hate to compare it to the Red Sox, but the Red Sox won the World Series. Why? Because they knew how to play small ball. They knew how to advance runners. They knew when to put down a bunt. Okay, so. You know, that's something that the Yankees might need to look at. Some contact hitters. Keeping with the Yankees, let's go to Freeport. And, Philip, you're on the fan. Thank you for taking a call, Danielle. How are you? How about uh, standing in a bunt? Forget it. It never <laughs> happened. Yeah, I know. By the way, they're not going to trade him. And you know what? I know. If I think, you know, 
Hal Steinbrenner would love to sit there right in front of everybody with the buffet, the whole thing. Harper and Machado, they need him. Harper knocks the crap out of the ball in the right field stands. And, and, and then you got, you know, uh, DD's out. And you got Machado, who cares about the hustle thing. Mm. You know what? Listen, the Yankees have the money. They want to play this, this game about under the uh, uh, luxury tax. But you know what, Danielle? Listen, you make a lot of great points. These guys really want, they want to take over the, the Red Sox. The Red Sox, you know, they spent a lot of money. They went mm-hmm. after everybody. Mm-hmm. And before you let me go, yeah. here's my thoughts. Do you think there's even a shot? I think it will happen, but do you think there's a shot with uh, um, uh, Machado or Harper? Love the show. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the call, Philip. Uh, do I think there's a shot for Machado or Harper? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at his uh his his uh Machado he wants to be a Yankee. Machado wants to be a New York Yankee. I think that if it's it's in the Yankees court if if they want to go and get him or not. Um you know, I I don't see a need for him. I really don't. You know, Didi's coming back and then what do you do with him? You didn't what do you do? Didi comes back and and you slide uh Machado back to third base and you trade Andujar? Is that what you're doing? You're trading a guy that was uh, should have been the or or even him or Glaber Torres. One of the two of them should have been, and they were robbed. Uh, AL Rookie of the Year for a guy that has questionable worth work ethic. I, I I as someone asked me earlier, if I am the GM, am I making what move am I making? And I'm not sure I'm willing to pull pull the trigger on a guy like Machado because as I keep saying, you know, three hundred million is a lot of money. Harper wants more than three hundred million, as evidenced by the fact that he turned down the uh, the national reportedly the Nationals deal of of three hundred million in ten years. And and don't forget, you have to pay Judge, you have to pay uh, Sanchez, and you're going to have to pay Didi. Which one goes? Are you willing to keep Machado over Didi? I I don't think I am. I'm sorry. Out to Brooklyn, James. You're on the fan. Hey, how you doing? Uh, that'd be awesome. I'm sorry. Uh, Daniel, um, it's okay. I, I have a question. Um, sure. If um, if I'm uh, will you make this trade? Send uh, the for uh, Chris Bryant. Straight up. Straight up, yeah. Like if I were to, if I was the Chicago GM, and I would have been like, hey, if I'm Chris Bryant for Syndergaard. Yeah, if I'm the Mets, I do it, and I think if I'm the Cubs, I do it too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a straight up trade, but I mean, yeah, you're, you're getting leverage with Bryant. And yep. stuff, and then you free up some money. You probably send another starter, and you know if you want to go still go after Machado, you can have Brian and Machado on the same team. You know, I would I would say I don't know if the if the Cubs would do it, but I would say it, uh, see the Mets need bullpen help too. So if in a way if they could possibly garner some sort of a, a prospect back in that sense, if, if you if you're looking for Chris Bryant and a prospect for Syndergaard, that I would do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Chris Bryant, I uh, mean, he's a great player. Chris Bryant's a great player. Yeah. yeah, he's a really good player. Yes. He replaced David Wright. He has, he has that image and stuff. And, yep, yep, yep. He's a world champion. Yep, he's got postseason experience, obviously. I, I think you do it. Yes, I'm with you. Not for sure. No problem. All right, thank you, Daniel. And no have problem, James. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, so, I mean, I think what the Mets need to do, and, and, go, and I, you know, Mets, Yankees, Mets, Yankees, but the last call was about the Mets, so I think – if you're the Mets, you just first you need to determine what kind of team you are. 
are are you going to deal Syndergaard and for what? Or are you going to keep him and how are you going to bolster everything else in on your team? You know, you have holes in your bullpen, you have holes at, at third base, you have holes at, at catcher, and your offensive production wasn't that good. So the answer, the logical answer, with no feelings involved in here, is to trade Syndergaard. And and for the Yankees, they also need to figure out what, what they need to do. And I think signing all these guys to major, major, major contracts, when you have the impending rest of them up, Judge, Gregorius, Sanchez, I just I don't see you doing it. And then and then when, when Didi comes back, like I said, what do you do? What do you do with Miguel Andujar at third base and Machado? And then the inf- we have a crowded outfield and it, for the Yankees. We would have a, a crowded infield for the Yankees if you if you pick Machado and or Harper. Bottom line is the Yankees need some pitching. And I'm more your calls after the break. 877-337-6666. New York's biggest fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN. Hi everybody, I'm Danielle McCartan here at WFAN. Uh, until 3 a.m. Uh, at 3 is going to be Chris McGonigal coming in. You know, it is a football Friday here at, at WFAN. And uh, if we could, let's go back. We have some big games for the Giants and Jets. I know the Giants and Jets are, have not been sort of living up to the billing uh, for this year, we can say. But, you know, they, there doesn't there is divisional games. To, there are divisional games to be played on Sunday. So, you know, Jets-Patriots from MetLife Stadium on Sunday, you know, the Jets always play the Patriots well. And, and they're always close games, it seems. And, you know, I, I think... This year is too far gone. We don't know who is even going to be quarterbacking the Jets this season, I think. Um, I mean, for this game and for the rest of this season. I think this game you're going to see um, uh, Josh McCown. Uh, I, I don't know how long they're going to, keep, going to keep Sam Darnold out for his foot injury because it seems to be that everything around the Jets is starting to break down with Robbie Anderson and Marcus May who's often injured. And, you know, you got to look at, you know, what? what's the Jets' effort level going to be versus the Patriots? Are they just going to get rolled by the Patriots on uh, on Sunday, to use a word from uh, from Marco? I mean, you don't know, because I think this is the point of the season where the Patriots, you know, if you watch the Patriots, um, this is this is the, the point of the season where they turn it on. And the Patriots, they're set to capture their 16th AFC East title since quarterback— Obviously, quarterback Tom Brady entered the league 19 seasons ago. I think the Jets um, are also trying to justify why they have not fired their coach midseason. So you have two different teams coming off two bye weeks, coming off two real, I'd say the word embarrassing, losses. And, you know, I think they're going in just two different directions. The Jets need to go back to the drawing board on how they're going to fill some holes that they have on their team regarding, um, you know, are they going to sign Le'Veon Bell or not? If they do or if they don't, how else do you address the fact that there isn't a real good pass rush? I think the answer to that is you sign Bosa, uh, um, you draft Bosa. Um, the Jets are going to get a high pick. So I think if Bosa is still on the board, and, and by the way, you have teams in front of them that are going to be looking for a quarterback, namely the Giants. So um, 
if you're the Jets in the draft, and and and, and I'll be honest, I it, you know it's November. I haven't looked at the draft class just yet. As as uh, how I say as um, um, in depth as I've you know looked at all this baseball stuff, but you know I think that Bosa is the guy from the Jets, and I think the Giants are going to go after a quarterback. And as one of the callers said earlier, and, I, and I'm sorry I forget your, who it was, but. The Jets really don't have any playmakers on offense. So what do you do? You go after Le'Veon Bell, and you find a wide receiver, a, a physical wide receiver that's going to make some plays for you and for your second-year quarterback who is most likely going to be learning a brand-new system under a brand-new head coach. And hopefully that new head coach is going to be an offensive-minded head coach because going – by the wayside are these defensive-minded headed coaches. The game is evolving right before our eyes. We know that. We've seen it in L.A., namely, especially in L.A. And look at what happened to Jared Goff when you have a quarterback that schemes for, I mean, a coach that schemes for you, you young quarterback. Okay? So, um, and the Patriots, obviously, they're, they're, you know, as I said, the Jets are they're going in different directions, and the direction that the Patriots are going into obviously is the postseason. Every year, it's the postseason with them. It's perennial. And Tom Brady is 41 years old, and he's leading, most likely going to lead his team to the playoffs yet one more year. So I think um, Gronk being back on the field, just just the presence of him on the field has to make you kind of wonder. You know, you got to get a spy on him at least. He's a terror over the middle of the field. So you're going to put Jamal Adams on him? I mean, Jamal Adams, if I had to give the heart and soul award for the Jets this season, it goes to Jamal Adams. The guy is all over the place. He's in the backfield disrupting plays. He's in coverage disrupting plays. And I think I might have said this a while back, but if I can have 11 Jamal Adams on my defense, I'm taking 11 Jamal Adams on my defense in terms of his heart and his hustle and everything like that. So... We know that's one guy that hasn't quit on this team. It doesn't seem like Darren Lee, and speaking to him on Monday, it doesn't seem like he's quit on this team. But, you know, you got to see. You got to see what comes out on Sunday for the Jets and Patriots. I'm obviously predicting a, uh, a Patriots win, but I just don't think it's it's going to be a 9.5-point win is what the spread was last I checked. It's always close. And, and Darren Lee told me on Monday, he said, it's going to be a dogfight. It always is. We're going to put our best foot forward. And we know they will too. So we'll come prepared ultimately. And he he also told me, you know, we know what they're going to do. They know what we're going to do. And I've been here three years, and and, and I, I can tell you what they're going to do. It's just basically it's executing. And and I love this quote from him. He said, "Playing Tom Brady is is playing chess, not checkers." And that's all you could possibly say. And he said, and I laughed at this. He told me, "Tom, it's it's Tom Brady. He's been doing this since I was in first or second grade." And his film and his resume speaks for itself. He doesn't have to speak for him. And and that's true. And and Tom Brady, you know, being in the New York media here, Tom, I hate to say it, but Tom Brady is, I think, the best coach, I mean, the best quarterback to ever play the game. And, you know, you know he, it just is. And his resume, as Darren Lee said, does speak for itself. Let's go to Lincoln Park, New Jersey. And Stephen, you're on the fan. Danielle, how you doing tonight? Good. How are you, Stephen? Very good, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. So, 
Giants going into next season, you know, I've been a Giants fan my whole life, you know, nine and seven, that's that's what we want. Get into the playoffs, beat Tom Brady again in the Super Bowl, fantastic. But realistically they're looking into going to into the draft, probably pick it around the ten spot. I'd like to see them draft a defender, just you know, get a, you know, a a mirror of a pass rush pass rush going. Um and, you know, I Eli's probably even at the end of the season, even though I think he can still play. I can see them signing maybe a journeyman quarterback, just as kind of a bridge deal. And then I think they go all in for getting the number one pick in the following year's draft for uh, Tua from Bama. What do you think about that? Yeah, um, and like I said, Stephen, thanks for the call. I, I just I haven't done my, my due diligence just yet on, on the, the quarterback class and, and everybody coming out of the, the draft, you know, so... Um, I think, you know, I, I had written an article on my site that New York Giants, and I titled it, and I thought I was so creative here. I called it Beyond Eli Manning and the Five Stages of Grief. And uh, if you've taken a psychology course, you know that there are five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, right? So I'm not trying to be all professor on you, although I, I am a teacher. <laughs> um, but I'm just trying to say that, you know, the Giants with Eli Manning did go through those five stages of of uh, of grief, and then all of a sudden he comes out, and for the past two weeks he looks like Renaissance Manning, who I wrote about at the beginning of the season. So what is Eli Manning? We don't know what Eli Manning really is. Okay, so you would think though, who would have thought the Giants were going to be where they are? They had a new head coach coming in. You had Odell Beckham Jr. coming in on a completely healed ankle. You had a new general manager you had drafted one of the highest graded offensive linemen weekly even to this day will hernandez who i loved that pick that was my pick for the giants and you took the best player in the 2018 draft saquon barkley i also was behind that pick you had this huge free agency signing in nate solder to shore up that offensive line and we know how that panned out and and yet here you are all set for having renaissance manning and I know I'm giving a long-winded answer to his question, but things were looking up for the Giants. But then 1-7 and seven happened. Eli Apple, who was the Giants' 2016 first round, 10th overall pick, played tonight uh, for the New Orleans Saints. The 10-1 and one New Orleans Saints, excuse me. And for uh, a fourth-round pick in 2019 and a seventh-round pick in 2020, they got for him. Now, Damon Harrison, who at the time was the league's seventh best overall defensive lineman and the league's fourth best run stopper, was traded to the Lions, who also played today, for a fifth-round pick in 2019, which I thought was not nearly what they should have yielded for him. But, you know, in regards to the moves, Shermer said that, here's the quote, we were presented with offers for the two players we traded, and we wish Eli and Snacks well. And, you know... The Giants, they they could be a top five, top three pick overall. And, uh, you know, they're going to have not a lot of cap space. And the way this team is built, you have to think that this team is in win-now mode. I mean, Odell Beckham's in his prime. Saquon Barkley, prime. Sterling Shepard, prime. Evan Ingram, prime. On the offensive side of the ball, just alone. And, like I said, I, I haven't... Research this quarterback draft class. I have not seen these guys on film. 
So, but what I'm hearing is that it's apparently much weaker than last year's, which was obviously a very quarterback heavy draft. So I kind of, what I did was I looked, and this is going to answer his question. I looked at some upcoming quarterbacks set to hit free agency for the 2019 season. So as he suggested, why can't the Giants just ride it out with a proven veteran for a year or two if, if they really don't like what's coming out of the draft? Right? I, I, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Because it worked for the Vikings last year in Case Keenum. Because he'd been with the Rams in 2016. He led, Case Keenum led Skull Nation to an NFC championship game. So putting aside the fact that, um, you know, and, and you've seen, and one of the guys that comes to mind is Derek Carr. So you've seen the blow up of him and, uh, and Coach Gruden on the sideline. And it seems that Gruden's making all the wrong moves, trading Crabtree, trading Mac. And they're flourishing where they are. Does he trade Derek Carr too? And uh, you know, I I don't I have not watched Gruden, but apparently I've seen on Twitter that this happens all the time between him and his quarterbacks. Derek Carr, if you looked at his body language, I don't know what was said most recently, but the body language of him was kind of like, well, well, what do you want me to do? You know, he had his hands out stretched, and he kind of just walked away from Gruden. So. Carr might be a guy, but, you know, he was injured, and he might be a little too expensive for this idea of a journeyman quarterback. Or if the Giants love him, then they lock him up and do it, and they commit 100% to him. But I think also another one that comes to mind is Tyrod Taylor. I think he's going to be too costly. And Josh McCown, I think, is on the path of retirement. Or does he turn around and become a coach right away? Who Who knows? But two names, and to answer your question finally, Two names that came to mind. How about trying to pry Teddy Bridgewater away from the Saints? Because on the way in, on the broadcast, on the, the Westwood, One, Westwood One broadcast, apparently they're high on the guy on the depth chart behind Teddy Bridgewater, underneath Teddy Bridgewater. So if they think, because basically what they did with Teddy Bridgewater was was got him here, got him on the team in the Saints as a sort of like an insurance policy for Drew Brees. And now, what I've heard just on the drive-in before, on the West Side Highway, that they're high on the third guy on the depth chart. So maybe Teddy Bridgewater's on the move, and I'd like to see him play for the Giants. And another name who was very high at the beginning of the season, kind of came back down to earth, and now has kind of sort of leveled out, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And hear me out, because some of you guys might be getting on that phone and dialing the number, 877-337-6666. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on this. If the Giants aren't so high on a quarterback coming out of the draft, how about Bridgewater? How about Fitzpatrick? Because both of them are familiar with the New York market. Both are NFL-caliber quarterbacks. There's no doubt. And they both kind of rise to the occasion when called upon. So... You know, maybe Fitzpatrick isn't the guy because how are you going to justify replacing Manning with Fitzpatrick because Fitz is only one year younger than Eli. Um, but, hey, how about 27-year-old Teddy Bridgewater? Will the Saints part with him? Who knows? Maybe, possibly, for the right price. What I'm trying to say is, though, that there are veteran free agent options available than the Giants having to have sort of slim pickings from this 
apparently, I, I haven't confirmed this, quarterback week draft class. And not to mention the fact, and it was brought up before, that the Giants still don't know the in-game skill set Kyle Loletta has. Although he should consider a career as a NASCAR driver. <laughs> um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is that the Giants can save themselves, and here's the number, $17 million in cap space by letting Eli Manning walk at the end of the season. Eli, the man, see that? Pun intended. The man who engineered two of the franchise Super Bowl victories, won the National Football League's Walter Payton Man of the Year Award for the extensive work that he does with pediatric cancer. And let me tell you something. He does an excellent job with uh, over there at Hackensack Hospital. I, I just have to say it because I personally know one of the families that he has helped, and it's just amazing what he does with them. So, you know, all I'm saying is that the Giants need to make a decision and make a decision soon because if they don't, just like last year, it's going to come back and bite them. And Davis Webb, we never got to see what he can do in NFL action. And now he's on the Jets. And don't be so surprised if you see him in action soon with Darnold being hurt and with Josh McCown coming off the game that he had versus the Bills, which was atrocious. You know, I almost thought they were going to make the switch then with Davis Webb. The Jets, putting Davis Webb in. And, man, what if he could be the quarterback that the Giants needed him to be? And how does that look on the Giants? So, you know, the Giants need to make a decision before the season ends because they need to see what they have. And I feel like this is the same exact conversation we were having, like, I don't know, this time last year. The Giants need to see what they have at the quarterback position before they can make a decision moving forward, whether to go get a new one through the draft, possibly getting a new one through uh, the free agent market, getting a new one through trade, or sticking with Eli. Does he retire? Does he remain a giant, or does he go somewhere else? More of your calls after the break. 877-337-6666. The Sports Hey everybody, I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you on The Fan, wrapping up uh, the last, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes of the show. Get on board if you have anything to talk about, 877-337-6666. Um, so uh, we're, we're talking about, before the break, we're talking about, see the problem with t- having two football teams in your te- in your city, and not one of them is, neither of them is like really that good, you start talking about next year, and the draft, and the quarterback for next year of the Giants. What's going to happen a little bit closer is baseball season. And I, I think some moves need to be made in terms of the Mets and Yankees. And I think um, I think if you run the team sort of in the cutthroat manner, um, and, you, and you look at these guys as, you know, not as players, and I hate to say this, it sounds so cruel, but if you look at them as assets, I think that, it, it makes it a little bit easier to part with them. And, and what I'm talking about is Noah Syndergaard. I think the Mets, I, I think they have no choice but to part with him. And I hate to say it because he's been, a, uh, you know, he, I've been to events with him when, where he's, I was there when he, he contracted the hand, foot, and mouth disease. I was there at that camp. He was hands-on 
coaching the kids, and it wasn't just that one time. He does it every single year. Okay, so you're you know the kind of guy he is. You you have to separate that from the the player and and what you the asset what you what you can garner and yield from a guy like Noah Syndergaard. And if you if you trade high on him, which would be now and soon, you can get a lock back for him. And you know Brody Van Wagenen and Jeff Wilpon they're looking for what what's called a pretty lopsided uh trade. And to me, that means you got to get back players uh that are going to play right now. Like Chris Bryant, some guy, a caller uh, before suggested Chris Bryant for Noah Syndergaard straight up. I would do it. Um, but, and, and that's being, uh, that's that's a wish list. That's, that's a fantasy baseball team, I call that. But seriously, though, you have to get players back that are not developmental projects. Not at the minor league level, nor at the major league level. You need guys that can play now. Right now. And you're going to need guys. You don't need – see, the Mets aren't in a position where they, they can be superfluous with, with who they get. You know, oh, I'll take this person or that guy. They need to address exactly who and where they need some talent. The back end of the bullpen, guy like Zach Britton, although I think the Yankees really liked what he did for them, and I think that Zach Britton might be the guy for them. Um. Moving forward, but you know, I, and, and what else? If you have Degrom and, and Wheeler and Mats as your rotation, and you take out Syndergaard, does Lugo become your your next starter? So the the Mets have a lot of pieces to figure out because if Lugo can slide in to be in starter, then you're looking for relief help. But if you're going to keep Lugo, then you're looking for another starting pitcher. So they need to just they need to figure it out, and they're looking. To go, it says, through trade possibilities, not free agent stuff. I'm not sure if that's the move. Because a free agent, and maybe it's you guys are sitting in a car right now waiting for a store to open. Or maybe you are shopping, out shopping. And I don't know. It's Black Friday. So I have a Black Friday deal for the Mets. And it's a lot easier to see it because I, I, I organize it into a nice little chart. But it's hard to explain it. Without looking at it, you know, I, I put up three nameless catchers and their statistics on my social media, and I found that, you know, the, the sexy name in Yasmani Grandal coming for, over from the, the Dodgers, the free agent from the Dodgers, I think if you look at his numbers and you compare him to some other guys, one being Jonathan Lucroy, I think that you might be a little surprised. Lucroy, he's a little older, fine. But if you're signing him short term, two years, you know, I think that's a fine, fine deal. Lucroy's batting average is higher than Grandal's. His on base percentage, career, I'm talking career numbers, his career on base percentage is just, you know, a little bit lower. I would say, if I do quick math here, it's um, 12 hundredths of a point lower. So it's not that much. Well, 12 tenths, whatever it is. Because Lucroy's is 337. And Grandal's is three forty nine. Now, what stood out to me, and I couldn't believe it, I checked it again. We talk about the Mets being unable to score runs. Well, another problem the Mets have is that they can't keep run prevent runs from scoring. So when you look at Jonathan Lucroy's 
caught stealing in 2018, 31 runners first in the MLB, the entire league. His 2018 fielding percentage is a a little bit lower than Grandal's. They're both free agents. See, I think that Gomes, he's already out, Jan Gomes, because the Mets, and the caller said it, hit it right on the head before, the Mets can't, he would have to come via trade. And the Mets don't have much to give up via trade. So you'd have to look at, like, a free agent. Either, now I'm looking, Luke Roy or Grandal. Luke Roy's cheaper will be cheaper than Grandal. And he's just a better contact hitter. And we we got into a discussion before about having feast or famine players. Guys that hit home runs or guys that could just get on base and get the job done. And call me old school. I would take a guy that can hit the ball. What drives me nuts is when the shift is on and you're telling me these guys can't lay a bunt down the, 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 Third base line as a professional baseball player. And if it go if you get on base, that counts as a hit. That counts towards your average and, and everything. So call me old school. But I like playing fundamental baseball. I like the hit and run. I like the hustle. I like laying the bunt down against against the shift. Maybe guys like Bryce Harper, who Scott Boris earlier in the season was complaining about Harper not having a, a marketable, you know, a, a multi-million, hundreds of million dollar contract worthy batting average. He was uh, attributing that to the shift. But if you're able to hit out of the shift, learn to take the outside pitch to the opposite field, then you you don't have much of an issue. Your batting average goes up. Then the, sh- the fielders have to shift back into place, regular depth, and then you could continue doing what you were doing. So I, I just, I, I'm not buying it. I'm really not buying it. So in terms of catchers for the Mets, I'm going Jonathan Lucroy. All day, every day. So my fantasy Mets opening day roster would be obviously Jacob deGrom. Then I'd have Lucroy at catcher. Peter Alonso at first base. Jeff McNeil at second base. Ahmed Rosario at shortstop, Manny Machado at third base, right fielder Jay Bruce, center fielder Michael Conforto, and left field Brandon Nimmo. And what are those changes that you made? Luke Roy and Machado. Machado would be the big change, but you got to do it. You just, you got to do it. Now the Yankees. Yankees moves I would make, I would get one more arm. Paxton was a great addition. It was a great deal. Because honestly, if the the Yankees are trading Justice Sheffield, who was, you know, people were calling me asking why they weren't promoting him earlier in the season here on WFAN. And then now for them to make the move and trade him, that to me, and I know I'm reading between the lines, I don't have any knowledge about this, but I'm reading between the lines, that to me means that maybe Justice, maybe his, his stock, Sheffield's stock, sort of fell in the eyes of the Yankees. And to get back a guy like Paxton, we'll see how he does. I mean, he's coming from Seattle, a smaller market. We'll see how he does in New York, but he seems excited and he seems ready to do it. So the Yankees, I would get one more, my wish list here, would be one more starting pitcher, preferably a lefty. The Yankees, I would, um, until at least until Gregorius gets back, 
Daniel Murphy. I would target him because he could play second base, and he could even platoon Moonlight at first base. So what you do is you slide Glaber Torres over to his regular position at shortstop. That's what he is. He's only playing second because Didi's at short. And I think Daniel Murphy slides right in there. He's an economical option. Talking about Black Friday deals for the Mets. That was my Black Friday deal for the Yankees. He'd be a steal. The guy is an offensive production machine, and he's one of those guys that in a, in a Yankee lineup isn't so feast or famine. You know? Murphy, he's a contact hitter. He had the eighth best overall contact rate in the entire MLB. And I said it before. You know, when you got, when we watch Brett Gardner on TV or at the stadium grinding out these at-bats, grinding, 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 well, guess what? Murphy does it more so, actually. He's ranked higher than Gardner on that. So my opening, my fantasy opening day roster for the Yankees, and I'll close, is um, pitcher Luis Severino, catcher Gary Sanchez, for now, first baseman Luke Voigt, second base Daniel Murphy, shortstop Gleyber Torres, third base Miguel Andujar, right field Aaron Judge, center field Aaron Hicks, left field Giancarlo Stanton, Maybe I could be convinced to put Brett Gardner in left field. That's that's those are the moves I would make, and I think they make a lot of sense for the Mets and for the Yankees. And f- as far as the Giants and Jets moves, I think Le'Veon Bell is the guy, the go-to guy. I'm sorry, but I do. I think you find a wide receiver in a draft or via free agency for the Jets, and I think you're in business. I think the Giants they have a little more pondering left to do. And uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be back before the um, the holiday weekend. I mean, the holidays, you know, Christmas, Hanukkah. But, you know, if I'm not, I just want to wish every one of you guys a, a very happy holiday season. Um, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, nice and full. I'm going to go uh, take, a, take, a, take a nice slumber right now because I have warded off the tryptophan from the turkey long enough. And I'm going to hit the road, go back to New Jersey. I just want to thank everybody that, that, that listened, everybody that called in, and, um, and those of you guys who helped out. I, I really appreciate making this show a success. I hope to see you before um, the holiday season again. If not, follow my social media at Coach McCartan, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Thanks, everybody, and see you next time. Six, the fan, WFAA.